first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Um, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. <laughs> Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Alright Jordan, welcome, how are you? I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, doing good. So, I uh, I think I caught on to Conscript during the Dread XP Spooky Showcase this past year. And oh yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff in there, and as always, I'm just like, okay, filling up the old Steam wish list here. Yeah, yeah. And when I came across the Conscript demo, I I mean, it struck me because. I can't think of anything more terrifying than being conscripted into the French army and World yeah, War One. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, that's that's exactly right. That's 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 why that's why I'm making a horror game. Really, is to kind of, I guess, shed light on what it would have been like to be in that position. You know, because it would have been terrifying. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm assuming. Because you're making a game about World War One, you got to be pretty into history. Mm. But I mean, I, World War One is, of all the wars ever, the most fascinating to me. And mm. I'll often, like, I'll say, people will be like, well, you know, what, what are you into? Like, history was, and and I I caught myself several times saying, well, it's my favorite war, which is the wrong <laughs> way to word that. Uh, but of the wars that have happened outside of my control which is all of them. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't you haven't started any wars recently or <laughs> not recently not this past week or anything but it it is just the the most fascinating to study and i mean the french showed up day 1 you know still dressed like mm. they were going to go fight for napoleon yeah exactly and right then yeah by the time we get to verdun it's like oh well half our fucking country's dead <laughs> yeah and, and red red pants uh isn't the yeah. best camouflage as well. That's what they learned well, pretty I fast. Masks, the bloodshed, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was a good camouflage because it was so bloody. <laughs> so uh, what, what inspired you to just take that on? Like a, I, I've got to know. Like um, World War One in general? Well, I mean, what, what made you want to make it the setting for the game? Like, so, I mean, early on in development... The thing about this game is that, I mean, none of it was really that planned. It just kind of happened, right? I just, I always kind of knew I wanted to get into the industry somehow and make games. So I just started teaching myself um, Game Maker. And then kind of early on, I had this idea that, well, I knew I, knew I wanted to make a survival horror game. Mm-hmm. And I realized that there's a lot of untapped potential 
in so many different historical settings, really, if you think about it. Um, it was just a matter of kind of settling on one. Uh, and I'm passionate about a lot of different history, but early on in development, the kind of idea that I had was, which looking back now, it's, it's completely out of scope and completely unreasonable to even think that I could do this, but it would be that it was a survival horror game where you would explore different uh, times in history. Like one level would be a, like a World War One game, uh, one World War One uh, setting. Another level would be like you know, World War Two or whatever. But that's just kind of ridiculous and completely out of scope, and would need way too many assets. And I realized, you know, about a year or two in, that I needed to settle on one setting. So I was like, well, I mean, what's what was the most horrific, and, and what am I passionate about? What's well, World War One? So. That's why I kind of um, settled on that, and yeah, I mean the, the potential for for horror in, in, in World War One is just it's like unlimited, <laughs> really. Yeah, I, as I said, it, the most fascinating there is, and for a survival horror game especially uh, because it just the, everything about the story just kind of lends itself to yeah. the genre anyway mm-hmm. i mean you do have limited supplies you are in a, a really terrifying yeah. kind of setting i mean the i can just imagine like your your brain and you're like all right let's do it that way and then okay well here's how the lighting's got to be and then you know mm-hmm. everything kind of just falls into place once you've settled on that i'm glad you didn't do the you know multiple timelines things it would have been a be disaster yeah well less <laughs> immersive in general yeah, like okay exactly. well just finish that and now we're gonna get in the old uh <laughs> What is the the toll booth from? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> They're talking Damn about it. um Doctor Who. Yeah, Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it would. I don't know. I don't know how you would do that. Maybe you could do it in the future, or you could just keep making more games. No, it, it's it's future. a bad idea. Like I, I would never want to do that. I think it's 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 important to to kind of remain focused. Like you, you need yeah. a game needs focus. You know, it needs yeah, it needs focus. That's what it. That's what's important. So. I'm happy that I'm um, so, stuck with that. So this is your first yeah. foray into game development? Okay. Yeah. Scary. It's been crazy, man. Oh, thank you, but it's it's no, it's been crazy. It's I've learned so much. I mean, I started I mean, you know, you know, I tell people that I've been developing this for like four years now, but really the first year was just me learning, you know, so I can't mm-hmm. really say that that kind of counted towards development because that was just me learning. But I guess the start of my game development journey has been, yeah, it was four years ago, exactly. Um, yeah, it's been crazy. <laughs> it's been crazy. But I, I do feel like I'm, I'm just lucky that I kind of took that step and I, know, I feel like I've really found kind of what I was made to do in a way. You know, I, I feel really happy that that I kind of just, out of nowhere decided to learn because yeah, here we, here we are now and conscript is a thing and yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, it's always weird because uh, there's two different kinds of like, I'm going to start making video, excuse me, microphone. <laughs> it's two different kinds of, I'm going to start making video again. There's one where you're just like, uh, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just know that I want to do it. And then mm-hmm. you just beat your head against the wall for four yep. years until you come out on the other mm-hmm. side of the game, which is fine. Like I, I've, seeing a lot of people do it that way and be very successful. Uh, but then there's like the 
professional way, which is like, uh, well, I already know how to make a game and I'm going to like draw out everything ahead of time. And like, I, you know, either way, uh, the ends justifies the means. So if you come out with a great game, which I mean, the demo is absolutely fantastic so far anyway, then cool. (laughs) I'm I'm happy for you. And I'm had that. I'm happy that it happened the way it did. Because I don't know, because you you could sit here and say a lot of shit like, uh, "Oh, I should have done this," or "I should have like." That Mm. doesn't matter, man. Just glad you're here and in the position you're in now. Yeah, no, I I agree. As long as, yeah, you know, you're right. It doesn't matter how you get there. Just, just, just make the game and just finish it. (laughs) Like that's all that really matters. It also matters how much money you spend on the way. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. That's also true. uh, Like I was, I was looking at my friends uh, who's also making a game and. Is funding it all through Patreon, and mm. I, was, I was just like, "Well, how long is it going to take you to make it?" And he's like, "I don't know, like five years." I'm like, "Okay, let's do the math here. Mm. Let's assume your Patreon stays exactly the same. Like nobody joins it from now on. Five years from now, it's going to be thirty four thousand dollars." <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not cheap. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been lucky because I mean, I, I had the Kickstarter, and that was, I guess, that was a decently successful Kickstarter. In hindsight, yeah. I think that the pandemic was probably the best thing that could have happened for the development of this game because, I mean, I didn't spend really, like living expenses last year were not high because no one, everything was closed um, yeah. in Australia anyway. So I've been able to take that money a long way. Um, and I think by the time development's finished, it will start eating into savings, but that's, I mean, that's fine. That, that's a sacrifice that has to be made. So, And I'll see the return eventually, so. It's no big deal. Confident. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm pretty sure this is going to sell pretty well. Like, hope so. <laughs> what were the uh, motivations to do a survival horror? Like, was that always like your favorite genre? Did you play like Resident Evil? What, what were the influences mm. there? I mean, yeah, it's, it's always been one of my favorite genres, but I think I don't really, can't really remember what like the catalyst was for me to settle on that um i think at the time i was just playing a lot of survival horror games and i just kind of you know had this idea of this would be cool if it was if it had like a history uh twist to it yeah i can't really remember what, what the exact moment was but i think i think i was just playing a lot of horror games at the time and i don't know maybe maybe i guess there's more popular genres out there um, I think at the time I didn't really realize that I was going to spend the next four years actually making something because when I first started, it was just kind of a hobby. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad I decided to make a horror game <laughs> anyway. What were the games that influenced it though? So straight off the bat, I, I guess classic Resident Evil. I, I've always kind of described it as the gameplay is more um, classic Resident Evil, whereas I guess the themes and and the atmosphere and the aesthetic is kind of more Silent Hill in a way. Um, But yeah, I feel gameplay wise, it's, it's, it's close to the original Resident Evil's, but I also do want to give it its own, um, its own identity as well. I don't just want to kind of copy exactly what those classics did, even if they're amazing games. Um, I do want to, make sure conscript ends up having its own identity you know so what 
where do you draw the line? Like this is what sets Conscript apart mm. from something like Silent Hill Two or Resident Evil One or Two. Either either way, it's kind of the same game, just different setting. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, for example, something that's I've been thinking about recently is that it, it's kind of hard to because World War One was a war. Obviously, it, it's kind of hard to reconcile like classic survival horror gameplay mechanics with the fact that it was a war with a lot of combat going on all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas classic survival horror games are not known for having, you know, combat is supposed to be avoided. Um, so that's been kind of a hard balance to, to, to manage. But so one part, one kind of thing that I've been thinking about is having, how do I say this? making it that larger scale combat encounters um, will work within the gameplay. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I've been working on recently. I've been reworking all the AI in the game to behave like uh, smart, smarter in groups. So I think that's one way I can differentiate from those classic games is have kind of larger scale combat encounters. The hard part about that is then managing, still balancing the horror while having those larger right. scale combat. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard balance. <laughs> I mean, that's the beauty of design in general, not just mm. games, but anything. Uh, engineering, period, yeah. is I have a problem. How do I get there without compromising anything on the way? Yeah, yep. Uh, so all of your initial concerns there when you, when you talk about it, just again, I've only played the demo, so mm. I, I'm not quite sure of everything you're going you're planning for this but it seems to me that you've you've successfully isolated it to like yeah okay it's it's in the broad scale of this war but it's in this trench and you know mm-hmm. during this time period yeah. so like it i don't think it's important to you know make it make it replicate actual warfare uh but to paint the setting and then have the events unfold right so uh it, it seems like there's, I'm not sure you can clarify on this, some sort of like kind of so, pseudo super, supernatural. Good. That is the hardest word I've ever said. <laughs> pseudo supernatural. I'm going to spell it. Uh, no, but <laughs> element going on with, yeah. with the, uh, the, with the German soldier, right. That, you know, captures you in the beginning and they, right. they just seem so eerie. And like, I don't know if it's because you said you're trying to improve the AI. Is it because they're not human or is it like, so, I am like purpose purposefully leaving that really vague because I, I do want to kind of link that in with the story. Um, okay. Yeah, but I'm 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 happy with the vagueness that because some people because I get that question a lot. It's like, is it supernatural? Is it not? And I kind of just want to keep it vague. <laughs> you know, that, that's the only right answer to that question. Mm. Yeah, like I mean, that's what horror is. It's exactly. the yeah. fear of the unknown. Yeah. So what, then we go to like, so I get it, the kind of influence of like the style of game, but what are the, the horror influences on you and do they come from outside of games at all? I mean, I'll be honest, like I'm not really the biggest consumer of horror media outside of survival horror games. Um, like Just I don't so really... People- listening yeah. now jordan he, he looks like he you know is gonna go play fucking varsity lacrosse or something you know? <laughs> so does not look like the, a horror nerd at all uh well 
uh, I guess. Sorry, thank yeah. you, I guess. <laughs> um, that's funny. Lacrosse, I'm in, in Australia, like lacrosse is, that's the most vague sport. Like, I think we played that once too. in like primary school. <laughs> um, that's, the, that's the one with the, with the long poles, with the, with the hoops It's like a little end, net stick thing. Yeah. The, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot that sport existed. Anyway, what, what were they talking about? Um, <laughs> the horror influences. You were saying, influences. Yeah, I'm yeah. not the biggest horror guy. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't really consume a lot of, I mean, I, I don't really watch movies um, at all for some reason. Okay. I, I never really have. So, I, a lot of people kind of ask about, is, has this been influenced by like Jacob Ladder or, or movies like that? And the mm-hmm. truth is I haven't seen those movies, so I don't know. It could be. Um, but you have, have you seen 1911 or 1917? I, I have. I, I do. I do want to. You, yeah. you really should. That, yeah. It's like a lot of people that I, when I show this game, they're like, oh, it's like that movie. And I'm like, oh, you, really? you should at least, so that it, you can breach away from any comparison if, you, if that's. Yeah, cool. yeah, it's yeah. A great yeah. Movie. No, it's, it's been, it's been like on my backlog, I guess, for a while now, but just haven't mm-hmm. had a chance. But I, I do want to get to that. Um, yeah, so I guess for me, I mean, the, the main horror influences is just reading history, man. Like reading, yeah, reading books, reading, um, reading accounts by, by soldiers, reading poems. Because, like, when, when I read those and I study them, that kind of freaks me out more than any kind of horror movie ever could. So, Honestly, that's I've been trying to make a, a, an effort to. It's hard because I'm so busy, but I've been trying to make a bigger effort to read a lot more uh, recently. So I mean, yeah, my main inspiration has just been like books and, and studying history. Really, if that answers the question. No, that's again. You keep like deflecting the original question and then answering with the the only perfect answer for that. Uh, so like, okay. yeah, there's there is nothing more terrifying than warfare. Yeah. Period. Yeah, like yeah, that's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the worst war that ever happened, nothing more terrifying exactly. than being French. So, yeah. where I'll go with that is like, so what? Which books? Uh, so, what's your? What you I mean, I'm reading right now a book. What's it called? What's it called? Um, it's called. Um, I think it's called Where Poppies Blow, and it's about. Mm-hmm. And it's got this long subtitle about like British soldiers in nature, but it's it's basically just about how the relationship between the relationship that soldiers had with nature in the war, and kind of how they would view the different animals, and you know how how nature would kind of give them a bit of a it would give them hope um, in the trenches. Um, so I mean that's a very good book that I'm reading right now, and. I'm trying to like, it's given me a lot of inspiration as well for just certain different set pieces I have in mind where, you know, maybe despite all the horror that's going on on in the game, like you can kind of still show little moments of beauty, I guess, whether it just be like a flower growing or something like that. So that, that that's some that's kind of some ideas that I've had reading that book. What else? Um, I read a lot of books in my, because I have a history degree and I graduated last year, so I I had to read a lot of different books uh, last year to graduate. <laughs> My last ever subject was actually World War One, funnily enough. So that worked out well. Um, 
there's a good book called, I don't know what it's called, but it's, it's basically the, the, the notebook of a soldier called uh, Louis Barthes, and he was a French soldier who was conscripted, right. and he basically has one of the most in-depth accounts of what he saw throughout the war. It's, it's a massive book. Um, that's also a good one for just, yeah, I mean, for just researching these first-hand, first-hand accounts because they're kind of the most valuable uh, inspiration you can get when trying to make a game like this. So, yeah. It, have you, are you familiar with the hardcore history is a podcast? Yeah, of course. Dan Carlin. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, like his yeah. series on world war one is oh, it's amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, and a, a lot of it was just focusing on like the, you know, reading quotes, or like the firsthand accounts yeah. of a lot of different yeah. soldiers or generals who were, you know, planning what was going to happen to these soldiers and everything. Mm. And there's one of the more fascinating things about it was just the, the absolute, superiority of the german military uh mm. over the rest of developed you know western europe yep. at the time and that's kind of why the war ends up in trenches anyway it's like well we can't fucking exactly. fight them when they have those machine guns like, yep. we were talking about the you know the french showing up in you know red coats and feathers in their caps and all this shit day one mm. and the german military cut them in half before uh yep. that battle only time that uh, like large scale ma- machine guns were used were in I believe the conflict between the Russians and the Japanese yeah, uh, slightly so. there yeah. before. And so no one, especially not in Europe had really seen this happen in action. Yeah. And, and then obviously gas, uh, which is actually mm. a big part of your game uh, thus yeah. far anyway, yeah. where you, you know, I enjoy the fact that I'm forced to like drop the gas mask and then, uh, Oh shit! Well, I'm gonna need that. Let's go back and uh, find <laughs> yeah, it again, yeah, and then yeah. traverse through this one area to find specific items. And mm. you've done an excellent job of that, man. Thank you. I even, I even really enjoy. It. I don't want to spoil too much for people who haven't played the demo yet, but like simple things like, oh, well, you found half of a pair of wire cutters. <laughs> so yeah. Go find that. <laughs> yeah, and like that that part of your brain that's played all these survival horror games suddenly mm-hmm. is now looking for that other half. You know. Yeah, and I also really enjoy the save system. That's yeah, yeah. Very. It's it's been done before, but it's still like done in such a unique way that it, again, it hints towards something supernatural going on mm. here. Yeah, um, for sure, yeah. for sure. So I've actually recently I because the the thing with limited saves is that you know it's I I I, I love the mechanic from those older games. I think it's just perfect for the genre. But some people hate it, so I recently made it an option so you can. Mm-hmm. Before you start a new game, you can choose whether you want unlimited saves or or use a classic system. So yeah, that's a, that's for people who don't uh, enjoy that system, you can turn it off. So <laughs> I also really like the it's it's kind of a classic trope of survival horror in general. But resource management, I'm going to mm-hmm. keep coming back to that because it's. I, I know it's like a rule with developers. Like you guys are like, yeah, don't talk about inventory. It's we, we have inventory. We don't talk about it. I don't know why that's a rule. I've had multiple people try to explain it to me. I'm like, I figure it's, it's one of the most important things of the game is because you yeah, interact yeah, with it more yeah. than you interact with anything mm-hmm. else. And that is, it's so perfectly suited to this. Cause it doesn't feel like, you know, like doom where you're just pulling a rocket launcher out of your ass. Right. It, it really feels like a, okay, I've got a limited amount of supplies because I'm in a war zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of what you end up with in uh, in survival games is it can, can break the immersion, right? So 
you, you, you come up to an obstacle and you're like, okay, well, I've got to find a particular item that will help me clear this obstacle or this puzzle or whatever. And you kind of force the player to make decisions based on like, okay, what can I bring with me? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's behind this obstacle? All that kind of thing. In, in Conscript, I, you know, I'm tempted to say like, well, why do I need wire cutters when I already have X, Y, Z item? Like, why can't mm-hmm. I just like fucking shoot it down or whatever? Like, that, that's how like an immersive sim yeah. player yeah. thinks. Yeah. But it's not that kind of game. And that's the most beautiful thing about survival horror to me is that you're, you get to dictate kind of how the player interacts with almost like dark souls. Right. Like you, yep. You're not going to beat this thing unless you play it my way. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's very true. Mm. So how do you, how do you curate that? What, what yeah. are the things that come to mind when you're like, a, well, what kind of obstacles can I have? Or like, what, it's, should, it's a, how should yeah. I bait the player into them? It's actually been a hard kind of challenge to, because you know, the, f- the first thing you think of is just a lock and a key, but you, you can only, yeah. that works if, if your setting is a mansion or, you know, a police station like, like the old games. But when, when you're in a trench, you have to kind of be creative with it. That's, that's actually been pretty challenging because, yeah, I just wanted to block off everything with locks and keys, but in reality, there weren't, there wouldn't have been that many doors in a trench system, you know, mm-hmm. so I've kind of only uh, implemented one uh like kind of uh what would you call it one obstacle that's a that's a lock and a key but yeah i mean you've got wire cutters what else i I thought of some other ones which i'm struggling to remember um oh in the demo there's the there's the rope and the the lighter which is straight from resident evil 3 but i guess it would kind of make sense in the setting um but yeah, no, it's it's a challenge. You've got to get creative. Well, even, even the lighter is useless. You have to find the like the butane or whatever yeah, yeah, to exactly. use it and everything. That's yeah. So I'm constantly trying to think of ways to to block to block off areas or yeah. Um, and again, unlike in you know in Resident Evil or in you know Silent Hill, it doesn't make a lot of sense why all these weird, strange puzzles are there. But for your game in yeah. particular, it makes perfect sense. It's like, oh, well, you would block off this area because yeah. you don't want the Germans to make it. Yeah, through exactly. There that yeah. sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. in a way, your your giant, you know, I don't know if he's really giant, but like the big looking German soldier that greets you at the beginning of the demo and then mm. again at the end is like Pyramid Head this kind of looming mm-hmm, object mm-hmm. that you can't really do anything about yet. We don't know what we're supposed to yeah. do with them. Yeah. Speaking of um, like pyramid head there, there is an idea that I have. It's, it's hard because I have so many ideas that I want to implement, but it's just like, you can't have them all, but I have thought a lot yeah. about having a kind of stalker type enemy. Cause that's also very typical of the genre, but like nemesis or yeah, but I, I don't know if I'll end up being able to do that maybe we'll see what happens we'll see what happens <laughs> okay what about like a fatal frame did you ever play that one i never played that series um but i've heard good things yeah it's a it's a weird unique time in uh I, I should say japanese kind of game development in general like when the survival horror times like that era just hit it on the head and there you know that we, we've talked about the classics i mean i've, I've resident evil tattoo oh no nice. that's how much i love the mm. like the original resident resident evil 4 is probably my favorite but yeah we get to that later 
but uh, Fatal Frame, you are it's in a mansion kind of situation, but you're like a young girl, and the mansion is haunted, and your only weapon is a camera. Mm-hmm. And you take pictures of the somehow the photographing the ghosts like vanishes them that kind of thing, and it's such a weird tool. Uh, you have the benefit of like yeah, well this is a war zone we're going to use guns and shit yeah. <laughs> or yeah, a shovel. Yeah, yeah. That's a, actually the most frustrating shit is the <laughs> because you're I mean you're in the situation where you've done the the right thing which is you can't move while you're you know yeah, aiming a yeah, weapon. Yeah. It's hard decision to make I'm sure, but. Yeah, it is. In my opinion, it's the right move. But, you know, that makes melee combat, like, just absolutely brutal. Yeah, (laughs) that's... Basically trading blows, yeah. Yeah, it's been been very hard to... Sorry, we'll get back to the Fatal Frame thing in a second, but it's been very hard to balance. Okay, so here's the the dilemma. You know, if you have a a, a melee combat system in the game, Mm. like... People are going to ex- kind of expect that it's just as viable as shooting. That's just kind of what players expect. And when I first designed yeah. it, I kind of had in mind that it would be like Silent Hill um, or even Resident Evil with the knife, where it's not really like you don't ever really want to engage in, in, in that kind of combat because it's just going to be risky. That's why in the demo, it's you're always pretty much going to lose health. And now I've kind of been thinking like I've been trying to balance the 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 melee combat system to a point where it's you can win without losing health if you're good enough but you also don't want to incentivize it too much you don't want to make it too powerful that's kind of been a design problem i've been having recently um one way to solve that i think is which i'm gonna this is not like fine this is not a final thing that's going to be in the game i still got to test this and see how people react to it but one way to solve that is to just have weapon durability so it's like yeah you can you can engage in melee combat and you can, you know, win without taking damage, but you're going to take uh, dur- durability off your weapon. So that still kind of plays into the resource manage- management part of the game. Um, yeah, that's just a thought that I had because it's been, it's been a problem that I've been trying to solve recently. Yeah. That, that, again, back to the engineering thing. Like, well, mm. I, I, you know, you want to have melee, but you don't want to incentivize it. So like, how do yeah, I solve exactly. that problem? And that's kind of why I, got hinting at fatal frame and just these other games in general is like how do you bait the player along the story like what is there what is my incentive to continue playing a game that is terrifying that's you know what i mean Mm. like i mean what's your incentive to get on a roller coaster you know is going to make you throw up like uh, so in this case it's kind of the air of mystery like Mm -hmm. you're driving the story with uh, i believe andreas and pierre uh, his brother and you're it opens up with you, you know, like I've tried, you've promised your mother that you're going to come home and yeah. all that, like very emotional, like very personal. And I can see that that comes from you having read mm-hmm. uh, accounts exactly. of different soldiers. Yeah. Uh, was there a particular story like, or uh, man- manifest that inspired the, the relationship between them? Um, not, not one in particular, but it, it's just kind of a common yeah. theme, man. When like you, you read these letters and when, yeah, when, when, when you're reading, when you're reading a letter from from someone who you know died, you know days or weeks yeah. after they wrote it, it's just heartbreaking. It's it's really heartbreaking. So, and that's such a common thing with, because I guess most soldiers died really, or a, a large percentage of them. And so, all those letters that they sent home, you know, that person who they sent them to, 
would never see them again. And that's, yeah, so there wasn't a particular account, but it's just kind of a common thing, really, when you read these letters. Mm. I mean, very real possibilities. Like, you know, mom gets that letter, who knows how long after it was written, you know, and then uh, the commanding officer walks up to her door like yeah. the day after, you know, and says, exactly like, oh, I'm right. sorry, but you're, you yep. know, that, who knows? Uh, probably not the day after. It was taking a long time to get from yeah, France to yeah, yeah. True. Or wherever they were. Yeah. I can't even imagine, like, a, consider, uh, you know, that this guy's French. Like, his, his mom's probably somewhere in France. Like, a, yeah. send a pony. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You, you were, we had soldiers from all over the world in that area at the time. I mean, yeah, in exactly. America, obviously. Uh, you, you guys, uh, yeah. you, you guys performed outstandingly well in the war just a big pat we, on the back to the Australians. <laughs> yeah we did in uh, more so well it, we were in, we were on the western front but our kind of cultural um what would you say like cultural uh remembrance i guess is a lot more focused on uh gallipoli that campaign mm-hmm. um but yeah we fought all over that was uh, Dan Carlin to, like spent a lot of time kind of talking about the reputation of the Australian mm. uh, army and how you guys seem to have, I don't know if it's because it was a prison colony or just there's something different in the blood of the Australians <laughs> at the time, but they, they show up and everybody else is like fucking t- like, I'm, I'm so done with this, <laughs> like terrified, shell shocked. Yeah. And the Australian soldiers were like, like gallows humor kind of guys. They like yeah. walk up to a dead body and like, how you doing mate? Like, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're still we're still like that, so yeah. nothing, nothing's really changed. Nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect to. I mean, I I don't. I try not to do too much assuming before I meet someone. But yeah, you, yeah. you know, when I I have a here's the idea of what the game is. I've made very. You're the least of my huge mistakes. <laughs> I didn't expect you to be Australian. You know, I, I was like, okay, yeah, this guy's yeah, probably yeah. like French, know, probably European or something. <laughs> yeah. Ma- yeah, I don't know, maybe. And I mean, I did that with. Uh, who was it? MK Schmidt is like one of my favorite kind of recurring guests on the show. And it's a, he's made a paradox vector and some other like uh, star explorers, like these really beautiful kind of like retro sci-fi mm-hmm. games. And I'm expecting like a teenager. He's like a 50 year old man. He's like my mom's oh, really? age. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, so mean, I dig myself into these trenches all the time. No, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Game. You can never really, that's what I've noticed. Like developers are just so diverse. You, you never, you never know what you're going to get. So I guess that's part of the fun. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, uh, when you were deciding on the setting, too, we're going to keep circling back around yeah, no, different it's topics. Good. It's okay. But, like, uh, as an Australian dude, like, what was yeah. your, like, how did you pick? Like, okay, let's do right. France. Like, I don't know. So, like, just. Yeah. So, the story, it, the story is um, originally, if you actually go back uh, far enough on my Twitter, you will see that the protagonist was originally English or okay. at the time he, he might have even been Australian. I, don't, I hadn't really um, decided. But so there, there are a few reasons that I settled on Redun. Um, and most of them are actually kind of game, gameplay reasons as opposed to like any kind of personal attachment I have to that battle because, I mean, I find it really interesting, but I don't mm-hmm. really, I don't have, I'm not French. I don't have any French ancestry or anything. Um, but so one, one thing was actually I found that the French uniform would have made for a way clearer player character because it's, it's a pixel, it's a pixel, it's a, it's a low res game. So 
when that's, I had the green, it's genius. Yeah, when I had the green, the green uh, English uniform, it kind of didn't pop out enough from the the browns of the trenches. You know, it was just kind of, yeah, it, it didn't pop out enough. So then I started researching other battles, and I'm like, wow, the French had this bright blue uniform. This is actually gonna, this will actually uh, lend itself better to to having a playable character because also I guess blue is kind of, I guess a heroic color in a way, like a lot of heroes mm-hmm. kind of have that color. So that's one reason. Um, and another reason is just that, you know, the trench is the main area of the game, but I always knew that I wanted to have other areas. You know, like in Resident Evil, you the mansion is the main area, but you go off, you know, into a lab or into the gardens or, or all that kind of stuff. So I knew I wanted to have different areas. And with a lot of the battles, just take like uh, Passchendaele, for, for example. That battle was pretty much all just swamp, really. Um, so when I studied the Battle of Verdun, I'm like, so you had this city of Verdun, which could uh, act as a pretty cool area to explore. Um, mm-hmm. You also had a lot of forts around the battlefield. And I felt like those forts could also make a really cool uh, area to explore. So, yeah, it, the reason I settled on Verdun was just, mainly for gameplay variety, really, in, in the different areas yeah. you could explore and also, um, yeah, the, the blue French uniform, funnily enough. They're the, they're the main two reasons. Yeah, it's another interesting thing about, like, trench warfare in general. Is like, Let's take it, like I said, in general, but like, let's mm. take it to, like, a general officer's perspective. Like, how, how do we fight this war? In all conflicts, I mean, like, you're trying to take your enemy's territory and push them yeah. back th- down the line. But when you take over a trench right you are taking on the infrastructure that your enemy or possibly you months ago in this situation you know had laid in place and you know whatever supplies they happen to have or you have to move your front up behind you and that's one of the interesting things is that the i'm going to keep trying to like dig i'm going to find different angles to dig into your Mm -hmm. your strategy for baiting people into this but yeah that you know you're, you're you're in a trench that is essentially being taken over currently or has been by the the Germans, and they're going to then have to kind of go in and everything that they've gassed they have to either block off or clear mm-hmm. out. And it seems that that's already happened in the story. Like that's what you've done previously. Yeah. And and deal with whatever you know you've left behind. And you you mentioned like the the bases and the bunkers that have kind of set up. Um, you got to make do with what you have and mm-hmm. you don't know, you, you don't know where they left the keys. You don't know if they're on yeah, some dead yep. body that's you know, halfway out there in the middle of the field. Yep. And that is that, was that part of your intention? Did you plan that ahead of time? Um, not, not entirely. So the, the trench you, the trench in the demo is actually, well, I guess, I guess you're right really. Cause at, at, at the, at the beginning of the game, it's a French trench, but I've never really thought of the idea that, it could have been a German trench beforehand. Although I do think, because I'm trying to like map out the battle in my mind now, I do think that that trench in the demo would have stayed uh, French for since before the demo. But that's kind of yeah. a cool idea where, because I do have an idea where later in the game you stumble upon the German trench over over no man's land. So that that's kind of similar to what you're saying where now you're in the enemy trench and yeah, you don't really know where anything is. You suddenly got to use their weapons. Um, yeah, I've never, I've never really thought of it like that, but I think that's a good idea. 
or a good kind of um yeah good yeah. idea <laughs> i feel like i'm a little too galaxy brain here like i'm kind of overthinking it no i like it's it i like it the most I like fascinating it. topic ever mm. so all right we, we got to figure out a way into this what's my motivation like i'm i'm this soldier i, yep. I want to go home and see my mom but like is it just are you because one perspective is just it's purely the gameplay like it's just solving the problems or like figuring out the mystery but like mm-hmm. in your mind how do you, how are you motivating people well like you said story story is a big thing but um i mean i, I have no like writing's hard man writing's hard like that's what i've realized making this game is that yeah. i never realized how hard it is to actually make a good story um so that's been a challenge trying to to write a story and even just write dialogue that is good enough to make the player want to continue just based on that alone um so hopefully i accomplish that (laughs) i hope so but you know if not there's always the classic survival horror gameplay that that most people who are going to play this game love anyway so that's kind of an intrinsic way that they're going to want to keep going and like we kind of said I'm, i'm i'm kind of lucky in a way because I, well, me personally, I find that the, the, the setting is so interesting that that's enough of a reason to want to go through the game is to just explore how fucked up this war was yeah. and, and what people had to go through and what are the, what were the conditions like that they had to survive in. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm lucky in a way because I'm lucky that I settled on that because I also think that World War I has, its, has kind of a really strong... There's not many World War One games, but there is kind of a niche of people who really like the people who love World War One love it. They're like they completely nerd out about it, like I do. So, yeah, I think um, the setting is a good motivator as well. <laughs> How much research did you put into like the available weapons and supplies, yeah. uh, like you know rations, these kinds of yeah. things? So I do, I do try to, I mean, this is the old kind of dilemma. It's like how, how much a game, do you, do you sacrifice gameplay opportunity for historical accuracy? That's always a balance that I'm kind of trying to, to manage. Um, for like, for example, you can find an American shotgun in the game. I, th- I think that's in the demo. I can't really remember. I'm pretty sure it is, mm-hmm. but that wouldn't really have been in Verdun during that battle. Um, so that's kind of one. But then it's a survival horror game, and I feel pressured to have this really satisfying shotgun to use, you know, yeah. because every good survival horror game has a shotgun. So it's, 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 it's really hard keeping that balance. But I, I guess you could find some way to, to justify its existence, like maybe an American, because there were American volunteers in Verdun. Maybe one of them came over and, and left it there or something like that. But yeah, I do try to, to research as much as I can and keep it as his- historically accurate as I can, but I am willing to make concessions if like slight concessions, if it serves the gameplay uh, better in the long run, you know? Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with, you know, something that really happened, you know, like no, nobody actually is traumatized by the events of raccoon city or anything like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah you're talking about a historical event, especially mm. something like this. I mean, I, let's actually take it away from your game. Mm-hmm. There's a game that's, uh, I believe been set to be released. I, if they do, I'm not sure if they really are gonna, 
but it's like a 10 days in Fallujah or something like that. Oh, Forgive yeah. me if yeah. I got it wrong, but. And 16, is it 16 the, or 10? Might be 16. Right. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. One number. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to like bother looking it up, but it's all good. I mean, like they're in this weird predicament where they, yeah. they're trying to be as like accurate as they possibly can. They interviewed a lot of like American uh, special operators yeah. that were, you know, in the event and, <clears throat> and they're in a very dangerous kind of territory because you know like you're doing a disservice if you if you're inaccurate in any way you're doing a disservice to the soldiers who fought in the campaign on either side that's that's another part of it is like because i don't really it's very difficult to like side with you know or like put myself in the mindset of uh the germans in world war one or two yeah however like there's a respect for the humanity lost and like the people who you know were just fighting because they had to that kind of thing and in, in a situation where you're talking about like Fallujah, especially, I mean, you're in a, they're, they're in a really difficult situation where it's like, okay. Cause I believe the way that they're planning this is that, you know, like for a lot of the game you're playing as soldiers, but for part of it, you're playing like as an, an Iraqi guy and is, you know, is trying to get his children to safety and all this kind of thing. Mm. And I'm like, well, who are we, who are we servicing here? Like, who are we right. trying to represent accurately and all that kind of thing? And I, I don't really, that's a whole different topic for a different day. But in your situation, um, you know, if you start making like these giant concessions, you're in danger of like, oh, exactly. you know, yeah. my grandfather, you know, yeah. totally like that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I think, I guess, I guess with uh, Fallujah, I mean, that was what, 2006? That, that's, so I don't envy their position because that's still recent and you still yeah. have a lot of, veterans who served or who fought in that and on the other side maybe civilians that suffered who are obviously still alive so that's a really hard position to be in i feel like when you know 100 years has passed i'm not i'm not stepping on as many eggshells you know as they are Mm -hmm. but you're right there, there is still a risk um but like i said i mean i'm 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 a student of history myself so i yeah. don't really have any desire to do anything too crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those weird things about history is uh, th- there was like a da- actually Dan Carlin, I think posed the question, like how long before people start talking yeah. about like Adolf Hitler in the same way that we talk about uh, Genghis Khan or right, something like that, right. because, or Alexander the great, you know, these are people yeah. who did do mass genocides mm-hmm. and were awful in a lot yeah. of ways, but now we kind of just talk about them in this very academic sort mm-hmm. of way. Like, you know, like these are the things they did and it's all so far in the past. That it doesn't yeah. affect anybody yeah. too much anymore. Um, I mean, I hope we don't ever talk about Hitler that way, but yeah, it, it's, it's it, an it interesting will, thought. The day will though. probably come. Yeah. It's an interesting yeah. thought. I mean, 200 years in the future, that's probably what will happen. I mean, there's no real avoiding it now that I think about it. Yeah. It's an interesting point. Yeah. No, it's, have you actually, if you're, I guess you probably would be pressed hard to find like a, a World War One veteran, but if you talk to veterans or anybody, like no, in, never. In the that's that's something I would love to do. I mean, I watch a lot of videos on veteran stories, and one yeah. one day in the future, I have this vision where if, if I'm successful enough, you know, I would love to kind of, I don't know, may, maybe make a veterans foundation. I want to do something for veterans. This is just a thought that I have, like. No. If I'm successful enough, it's kind of like a dream that I have. Um, 
that's something I'd like to explore. But I, I haven't for this game. But um, I mean, obviously you can't really you can't find any World War One veterans. Um, are there any that I don't think there's any that are, that are left. I, not that I'm aware. That's what I'm saying. Like, but you could potentially talk to you know someone whose dad came yeah, back from true. the war. I, I don't know. Just yeah. like anything to kind of get in the mindset, and it's very difficult. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to, but I, I haven't. I haven't personally. No. Yeah. I, so there's like this famous sort of. I believe it was like a kind of behind the scenes thing with Lord of the Rings, and Christopher Lee was. Uh, I believe he served with the Finns. Yeah. And then also came back and you know served with the Brits mm-hmm. as a pilot, like a fighter pilot. But he they're they're doing this scene where they're going to stab the guy to death, right? Like, I, and and Christopher Lee's like, no, 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 no. Uh, and he comes up and he's like, you wouldn't do it like that. You'd this do it like this. Do it. Like, yeah. like, like it wouldn't sound like that. It would sound like, and like, having that kind of resource is kind of invaluable. I mean, it's a fantasy world, but I mean, yeah, yeah. to serve the there's a here's a guy with real close combat war yeah. experience to talk about how we're going to do this killing scene yeah it's crazy it's yeah. interesting stuff man yeah i'm surprised he was so i guess i guess a lot of veterans are different you know some never want to talk about anything that happened during yeah. the war afterwards and i guess then you have guys like him who will correct the technique of stabbing someone <laughs> everyone's different uh, yeah, I mean, my, my great grandfather uh, was in the on the Japanese front in World mm. War II, and that's all I know. He never spoke one word about it. Yeah, he yeah. was a happy guy mm. all the way up to the day he died. I mean, he loved you know drinking, smoking. He'd go play at the casinos. He's like a member of the community, but just never spoke about what he saw. So, mm. and we'll probably never know. Yeah, yeah. But it's wild. I mean, I, I don't have any. Um, I actually don't have any family that served um but i can't imagine yeah it'd be it'd be hard to talk about it wouldn't be easy at all you know so you know so ultimately then we got to transition into the actual development process and and the logistics around it Mm -hmm. so You've already like you've already got a wish list on Steam and GOG. Congratulations on getting into the GOG club. I don't know how wasn't, you did wasn't that. easy. <laughs> <laughs> but, and you've also won quite a few awards with this thing. But how, you're just a one man crew with this. It's just yeah, you. It's just me. Just okay. me. Um, yeah, just me. <laughs> There's nothing else to say. Really, it's just me. So, how are you yeah. funding? all this so right now it's well drug money <laughs> yeah my secret uh drug doing business on the side now so i mean before the kickstarter it was all i mean i was working on it pretty much not even really part-time just whenever i had whenever i had time i was working on it since 2017 mm-hmm. or whenever it was because i was also finishing uni and and working and doing you know life stuff so i would anytime mm-hmm. i would have a spare spare time i'll just devote towards it um the years went on and so during uh, last year i was like all right i, I kind of always know i wanted to just go the kickstarter um route because it would be a good way to just kind of keep my independence for as long as i needed it without signing yeah. to a publisher before i was really confident that i wanted to do that so last year um 
I kind of knew last year was the year I wanted to, to do the Kickstarter and then the pandemic hit and I was like, all right, now I've got a bit more time locked inside. So I'm just going to put everything towards the Kickstarter. That was in uh, July, I think. So that ended up being, you know, decently uh, successful. Um, and then ever since then, really, it's been pretty much my whole life. It's been, I mean, if, I, if I'm not on the computer here working on it, I'm either running or all, all I do is like work on this or I'm, I'm, I'm big into martial arts. So that's, I'm either here working on this or I'm doing martial arts. So that's all I, that's all I do with my life. <laughs> Which uh, martial arts are you kind of focused on? So I've been, I mean, everything. I do MMA, so I've been doing like Muay Thai since I was 18. And also mm -hmm. uh, BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and um, boxing, wrestling. Yeah, I try to do it all. Yeah. Yeah, I recently did a, an interview with uh, the guy that's making uh, Retromania Wrestling. And mm -hmm. so we had like a whole long conversation on just fake fighting. So, no, really, I could go on. If you want to talk about fighting, I can go on for hours. <laughs> Dude, that's that's I my mean, passion. Yeah. It's your show. We could go, and I've done forty-five minute long interviews. I've done yeah, like yeah. three and a half hour long interviews. It's up to you. But actually, that's interesting stuff because it kind of you, you have at least some vague familiarity with what it takes to like be toe to toe with someone, right? Like to yeah, be in yeah. a combat type situation. Uh, it's not necessarily, you know, in the trenches of World War yeah, I, but like, yeah. does that, does that influence your mindset at all? And you um, talk about your background. With it well, I think martial arts in general has evolved like exponentially since, you know, as everything has, but I think uh, it's, it's kind of hard to, to draw comparisons to trench fighting with knives and, and clubs and everything mm -hmm. that I had, but because I really like modern martial arts ever since the, uh, start of well ever since the start of mma in 1993 and mm -hmm. the advent of brazilian jiu-jitsu that's kind of where modern martial arts was born so anything before that is kind of hard to relate to in a way <laughs> if that makes sense because fighting yeah. fighting today if you watch the ufc or you watch any combat sport it's so different but um yeah so i don't i don't know i did i did want the Early in development, there was a part of me that was like, you should have this, you should implement this kind of, uh, you know, melee system where you can take take people down and you can mount them. And, but that's that's too hard and it wouldn't really serve the gameplay at all. So <laughs> that was just a thought yeah. that I had early in development. But didn't didn't turn out that way. But it's like, does the killer instinct exist in there? Do, like, do you, do you have an idea of like, okay, if I were in this situation, this is how I would handle it? Um, I mean, look, for me, for me, martial arts, what it, what it does for me is not really, it's not really anything to do with the game itself, but it just, it kind of instilled the discipline in me that I needed to, mm -hmm. to see this project through. It's kind of taught me cause I've, I've had a few amateur fights now ever since I was 18. Um, and I do want to fight again. Uh, MMA in, in the future, but right now, conscript is just going to have to be my main priority because it's so so much work to be done. But after this game yeah. is done, I do want to start competing again. 
because um, what it, what it does for me is it, it just instills discipline in me. It, it kind of is a reminder that it doesn't really matter kind of what happens in my day. Like there's work to be done on the game and I have to do it. It doesn't really matter what's happening. That's kind of, right. that's kind of the lessons that I've learned from martial arts since I started when I was like 17, 18. Um, yeah, that's what I, that's how I would say it's helped me the most. Um, cause you need to see, a, I know you, like, you, you would understand cause you, you're, you're around game development, but it's really hard to put into to words to people who are maybe are just gamers who are, or, or just consumers. It's really hard to describe how much work actually goes into making these games. It's especially as a one man team. It's, it's like, it's unfathomable for, for a lot of, for a lot of, a lot of people, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. So to kind of, you need, you need discipline to, to finish a game. Otherwise it's, it's just never going to be finished. So that's, that's how I feel martial arts has helped me. Um, in my life and in game development. Yeah. yeah, it's a very humbling experience. I'm nowhere near your level on any of this stuff, but I, I uh, practiced Shotokan karate for mm. quite a while when I was, you know, like a kid. Like, yeah. well, I don't know, that looks cool, that, that kind of thing. And then obviously I have a pretty good background in wrestling, but the, the whole experience of like putting your life in another person's hands, it, that's actually what I find most fascinating about, about pro wrestling is that it's, you know, it's not fighting. It's, yeah we're going to do something and I'm going to put my life 100% in your hands. Like if you fuck this up, I'm going to die kind of thing. And, and when you're in a situation where it's like, you know, I don't know, I don't know how you do this. Like I, I am not interested whatsoever in uh, stepping into the ring with somebody who wants to kill me. (laughs) Um, But like when you look into another guy's eyes and maybe you're friends, you know, maybe you're other, you're going to go get a beer after this, but you're just going to beat the shit out of each other for a while. Um, we see a lot of that. Like, take it back to you know the war war type situations that you know the the armistice like Christmas Day, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of thing. Or you know they're gonna have a ceasefire and like go out there and share cigarettes and all this kind yeah. of thing. And then tomorrow we're gonna wake up and we're gonna shoot each other in the face again. Mm. Uh, it's so fascinating. Like the psychology of this yeah, entire thing sure. is so fascinating. So like the fact that that's where you draw your your discipline from. I mean, who were you before? Where was your discipline at before this? Well, my my life before before I started development was really was martial arts. Um, mm-hmm. That's all I did. I mean, I still train pretty much now. Now that I'm in like kind of the approaching the final, not the final stretches, but I'm approaching like I can see the finish line with conscript now for the first time. Like I can, I, it, there's so much work to be done, but I can see the finish line for the first time. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. now conscript is my main focus because. Yeah, it's just so important to me. But throughout most of development, I was still training four or five uh, days a week. Actually, back in December, uh, in January, I was training for a fight. I wanted to fight uh, in in January because gyms were opening again in in Australia because we haven't really been dealing with coronavirus for a few months now. And I wanted to fight. That turned out to be a, a... bad idea well the flight got cancelled in the end but it was so hard to uh, balance try uh, you, you, what I learned is that you can't really you can't balance training for, for fights with also trying to put everything into conscript or put it put everything into something else that you're passionate about because yeah when you're 
competing in martial arts, it's like you you have it has to be yourself focused because at the end at the end of the day, you can get pretty badly injured um, if you're not focused enough. And so, it was really hard to balance throughout, especially when you add in. So you 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 said you wrestled. Yeah. Uh, again, pro wrestling. Not I don't have oh, any okay. idea how to really fight. Uh, you you would kick my ass in five seconds. No, I, I just assume because 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 you know in America, you guys have like the college or the high school wrestling system. That's kind of just so. Yeah, so I uh, I grew up in uh, the southeast, and it is not a thing there. Like, uh, oh, okay, like okay, collegiate wrestling is just not a popular sport in that area. If my high school had offered it, I promise you, I would have okay. done it. But yeah wasn't a thing um so yeah I, I just like really loved the art form of pro wrestling and i yeah, got into yeah. it that way so i, I literally right, like right, went right. found somebody who could train me and like did that for two or three years and got i actually got hit in the head with a steel chair and that like all right you know what <laughs> i think i'm gonna go get a real job <laughs> pro wrestling is crazy man like i yeah. i don't really i i've never really watched it or been a part of it um for me, I've always just watched. I watch every UFC and every pretty yeah. much most boxing. I, like I love combat sports, but I've never really gotten into the pro wrestling. But man, pro wrestlers are fucking crazy. Like the amount of injuries, Very. like that's that's just as dangerous as any other combat sport. Even if obviously the intention isn't like obviously it's not a real fight, but the um, what pro wrestlers put their bodies through is just as crazy as any UFC fighter or or boxer. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> it's just a world that I'm not really familiar with, but all I know is that, yeah, it's pretty brutal. It's the strangest thing. Like mm. it, it makes no sense. I mean, when you put it on paper, like, okay, these two guys are going to go out there and pretend to kill each other and make it really cool. I mean, so I don't know. I have equally as much respect for like a, you know, top level MMA fighter and a top level pro wrestler because they, what they do is put their bodies on the line for either for exactly well, they say it's for your entertainment or they say it's you know because i want to win a million dollars but it's because they're driven by something in their head yeah. like yeah exactly. every every great wrestler i've ever met is insane like they yeah these are the kind of people who will you know not have a real job and they'll drive yeah. around and wrestle in the like these high school gyms or whatever and they'll you know some of them will wrap barbed wire around their arm and hit another guy in the face with it or you know yeah. whatever and for the sake of there's something in my head that I just have to get out. And for them, it's an art. Like that's the thing I guess that's different is that for wrestling, it's like I have to tell this story, sort of the same experience you're having with a game. Right. Mm. Like, and essentially they're like carnival act. They're like our our Shakespearean actors who are just really athletic or, you know, there's some big tubby guys in there too. It's just weird. Yeah. Um, It's it's definitely an art form. Like it's, I mean, every, everything's an art form, really. I, yeah. I find a lot of art in martial arts, and, and I guess it's not very. I know a lot of. It's kind of a weird thing about me is that I kind of inhabit two polar opposite worlds, where one half of my life, or well, the most of my life now, is conscript, but then I have this other really important part of my life that's martial arts and and, and cage fighting, really. And that's not really typical of most game developers, I don't think. But. Um, there's art in everything in any, in any skill there's, there's, there's a lot of art. You just have to see it. You know what I mean? Like when I watch UFC, that's most people, it's still, the sport's still kind of at that stage where 
you get comments about how it's human cockfighting and, and all that. But when you spend enough time around the sport, you realize that that's not what it is, you know? It's art. Yeah. Hold that note. I could hear some cats. Yeah. She's freaking out. I'm going to let her in. It's all right. It's all good. Come here, baby. All right, here we go. She's just going <laughs> to yell at us for a while. I'm not going to be. Right. But no, uh, that's the thing is that, I mean, you could say the same thing about pretty much any combat type thing in general. Like he, warfare is yeah. human cockfighting in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot more developed and remote now with the Air Force yeah. and everything. But overall, I mean, it's the, the art of, if not killing, then harming another human being yeah. or yourself. Um, yeah, yeah, but so I th- you're, you're talking about like the, the, the misconceptions that people have. I, I shouldn't even say it. it's just their opinion. They, mm. They're entitled to it. But like yeah. the UFC or MMA in general, watching it as if, especially if you have no experience with fighting yeah. at all, is it's sort of like if you were watching chess and you don't know how the game works. Exactly. Right. right. So yeah. like people, people complain all the time. Like, well, I don't want to watch two dudes like roll around and do jujitsu. Like it's yeah. just boring or whatever. But if you're into, if you understand jujitsu or you just yeah. have an understanding of how the human body bends and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that, then you can really get into like, Oh, that's such a beautiful technique. Yeah. And everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, and it becomes like a whole different thing. Uh, that's essentially, that's why it's important to have, you know, commentators like someone who can like kind of bring in yeah, the audience sure. and try to get that idea out of them or make them understand kind of what's going on yeah exactly especially um, for like any kind of grappling yeah. like most most people understand that when someone gets punched in the head and they get knocked out like the average consumer can kind of comprehend that <laughs> but um it's it's very hard to it's very hard for the average consumer to understand grappling and, and jujitsu and, and judo and all those kind of martial arts. But when, when mm-hmm. you're involved in it, it is the most complex thing. You know, it, it is so complex. <laughs> There's infinite potential for, for different positions and different, um, you know, techniques. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's, I, I keep, making the I play a lot of chess so I just keep making chess yeah. analogies but like it's it's human chess really <laughs> you see someone setting up for something right like uh in, in chess like you see someone do a particular like opening or response to yeah. someone else's like move then you're like oh like you just get like what they're going for or, like how you know how they're trying to accomplish exactly. it and, yeah. and martial arts and you see someone you know and they, they roll around a bit you guys will obviously know this but like when someone goes and moves the body in a certain way or they like bring their leg over and they're trying to transition into something else. You know yeah. what they're going to do before they do exactly it. Most right. people are yeah. just sitting here watching two guys roll around on the ground like, yeah, to, that's as far true. as they're concerned. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really what it is. It's, it's human chess. I think Joe Rogan's one who always calls it, who always describes it as that, but um, jujitsu yeah. and, and grappling is it's human chess with like infinite possibilities. Um, because there's think about the amount of ways that two people uh, wrestling, like think about the amount of different combinations of how their bodies can move, and, and you know what I mean. There's just it's it's infinite. It's it's literally infinite. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the Kama Sutra. I, I know all the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
uh, anyway, gotta the, the logistics of the game is what we were talking about. Yes, we'll, we'll stop talking and, about uh, martial arts. <laughs> no, we could. We'll come back to it if we need to. So good. That, so, one man crew again, and that's so you're coding artwork, everything. Yeah. Do you have a background in art? Did you draw um, as a kid? Uh, as Anything? as as a kid, I actually I did draw quite a bit, and then I just stopped when I was my my parent my my mom always thought I was going to be. I think I actually my grandmother always thought I was going to be like an artist. I guess I kind of did become one in a roundabout way, but um, she always thought I was going to be like a fine artist because I would always draw as a kid. But then I kind of stopped uh, doing that down the line. And to be honest, most of my art skills I've just kind of learnt the past two, three years. Just yeah, just working on the game. Um, I guess pixel art is a bit different to, to drawing, but well, it's like anything else. You just get better as the more you do it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's really strange when I hear people like, cause we mentioned this earlier, like people come from all different backgrounds. Yeah. I mentioned MK Schmidt earlier. Like, so he, it was a fine art is, is still a fine artist who decided like, oh, okay, okay, my next medium will be video games. Like, and mm. just dove into it. Yeah. And yeah, you're, you're, how old are you now? Twenty-three, early twenties, twenty-three. Yeah, 23 okay, yeah. so yeah, like, you, did you know like in high school that you wanted to make games at all? Like, did you ever yeah, have so any intention of doing that? Yeah, it's funny because as a kid, as a kid, I always kind of knew deep down that this is what I wanted to do, but for some reason, I was just never really told that it was a possibility. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know why, but I just never really thought it was possible like especially in uh, Melbourne here where I live it's well back then when I was younger there was no real game development scene at all um, like in terms of like a studio you could actually work at so I guess I never really considered that getting into the industry was something that was a possibility but then I kind of realized after high school like I guess anything's really possible if you just put the time in, you know, there's a, there's a million different avenues and a million different ways, but it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, I guess it's worked out for me a little bit now in hindsight, but at the time I kind of wish I had just started learning a bit earlier <laughs> because yeah, I always kind of deep down knew that something that I wanted to do, but I just never really took the jump, I guess, until I was like 19 or 20. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I was growing up, I never thought I was I would be like interviewing people in Australia. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's sure. like yeah. uh, we mentioned quite a few times, like how the the pandemic has mm. kind of jump started. It was already happening, but like jump started yeah. this whole thing where like yeah. game development can be done remotely. Now. Like yeah, and, exactly, and independent developers are actually it seems doing better about it than you know uh, like AAA studios because you know, there's this. There's no, you never had an office in the first place that you had to go. Yeah, that's true. So that's just, true. Yeah. Oh, I've got to stay in my room all day and just do this. Like, cool. That's what I was doing anyway. <laughs> and, and in your case, you're solo. Like some people are, you know, small teams and everything. They're, they were already just working on like discord chat and that mm-hmm. kind of shit. Um, yeah. Trello or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's actually like hugely beneficial for me. It's a uh, strange like I, I just, like I said, I never envisioned this is would be, this would be something that I did, but because of like how 
quickly uh, Zencaster, the service we're using right now, mm-hmm. uh, usually charges quite a, you know, a healthy sum of money to be doing this, but they're like, well, pandemic, great time for us to advertise our services. Right. So now they're yeah. like video podcasting is free. Uh, <laughs> that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. 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 And, and we have these opportunities. Like I've, I've met, it's weird when I talk to like just my friends and shit in general, like in, in real life. Mm. And I'm like, well, what do you do? Well, yesterday I talked to a guy in Australia. The day before that, I talked to a guy in Germany and like, a, and it's like that you have all, the, I have all these like pretty deep relationships with people that I've yeah. never actually met. And I wouldn't have the opportunity to do that without technology. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's def- definitely one of the positives of last year. And well, I know yeah. obviously in the States, you guys are still dealing with it pretty badly. I'm, we're very lucky here in Australia where it's pretty much, pretty much non-existent at this point. We did all the lockdowns last year, but at this point, we're pretty much it's pretty much life as usual. Um, oh, so that's that, so many more people. Yeah, I know it's it's hard to. Yeah, there's more because, people in like yeah. Los Angeles than there are in your entire country. Exactly like, right. Continent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But yeah, I guess that's one of the that is definitely the positive of of last year and the pandemic is that yeah you can communicate with people around the world. You know, it's always cool. Are there any people that have like really helped you along the way, like to kind of figure out different things and the different aspects of the game? I mean, to be honest, um, not really. I mean, I, I don't really, I kind of wish I had like a mentor or someone yeah. in the industry um, that could have helped. Maybe, how do I say this? Like, stop me or advise me against certain things or, or advise me to do certain things earlier than I did, you know, but you know, at the end, at the end of the day, the best lesson is, is a mistake or is doing something wrong. That's the best lesson you can get. And I've had plenty of them throughout development. So (laughs) in a way it's, it's kind of worked out either way. It's been over the past year or so, it's been interesting to watch people kind of like evolve. Uh, mm-hmm. I was involved with like 3D Realms is Realms Deep thing last okay. year, the kind of virtual convention. Yep. And I was reaching out like, you know, to all these different uh, indie developers and like, hey, you know, want to come join the Discord so we can kind of figure out, get your trailer yep. submitted. And, and then it kind of became like this sort of, it's still going on, like this hub of like all these amazing indie developers working on different projects. And they're just like asking each other questions and giving each other feedback. And I'm sitting here like, huh, that's interesting. Now I'm learning a lot. It's going to make my podcast a lot better. But (laughs) and a lot of the response I got was like, they they were kind of like building things in a, in an isolation tank, you know, like I'm just making this stuff. And then, you know, then they realize like, Oh, there's this whole other world of like people doing very similar things to what I'm doing that can give me feedback and everything. So I, I mean, I push back on your statement in one way. Mm. I think the best way to learn is not to learn from your own mistakes, but to learn from other people's mistakes. That's true. So that you don't That's have a good to point. go through the process. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean yeah, it's, it, sorry, go ahead. No, nah, you, you got a thought. Um, sure. Show. No, it, the thought's gone now. <laughs> it just left my head. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just fascinating because mm. I personally don't understand um, the mindset of just, I'm just going to, I do get it to an extent. I, I will just sit down and like beat my head against the wall, trying to figure out how to do something for the first yeah. time. But my first, like 
friend the other day, right? And he's like, um, hey, man, do you know how to change a, a headlight in a car? Yeah. And it's like, it's on YouTube. Like, just go on YouTube. It's, it's like a five-minute mm-hmm. process. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> um, yeah. Or in game development, it's so much more. It's programming, artwork. Uh, just, yeah. How do, you, how do you put a game on Steam? Like, th- that kind oh, of shit. Oh, man, like, how do you, that was – You know. Don't get me started on that. That was – That whole process of – yeah, even just getting it on Steam and then getting it on uh, GOG was mm-hmm. like that was that was a learning process because Steam Steam is like it's very unintuitive on the developer side. I think uh, I don't really consider myself to be like a genius. I'm not I'm not really that smart to be honest. A lot of this game has just been me beating my head against the wall for four years figuring stuff out. Yeah. You know, there are people that are a lot smarter that can figure out things a lot quicker than me. So I feel like Steam on the back end kind of assumes that everyone's like a genius. <laughs> but um, for me, it was like such a headache trying to go through all yeah. the Steam work stuff. And yeah, I guess I probably should have reached, there are definitely times where I probably should have just reached out to um, people who are more experienced than me because it would have streamlined the process. And that is something I've also thought to myself, like you need to kind of, just talk to people more because you don't have to do everything by yourself. You can't ask for help. That's kind of my own little kind of mental thing that I have to work on. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it all boils down to, for me, um, I mean, you're, you were passionate about making a game. So you were going to make a game, you were going to figure yeah. it out. And you seem to have like all the right instincts. Like you're marketing yourself. Well, you have a website, which is like, mm. Oh, good, good fucking job. Can't believe yeah. people don't think of that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, it, it just simple shit like uh you know here's links to where you right. can buy my game yeah. and i see so many people that just <clears throat> they they're they make incredible gaming experiences i mean like just truly yeah. gifted uh, almost like an autist level yeah. uh but the the concept of like selling their product yeah. does not occur like it does not yeah, occur, or, or just handling the finances yeah. around it like yeah for sure um, it's that's a that's a whole other part of the process that mm. you have to learn whether you like it or not you know it's yeah i mean my, my worst fear is to have put four years or five years into this and then to just release it to nothing that's my that's my worst yeah. fear so that's why i've you know i mean i've tried to do the best i can there's it's, it's it is very hard as a one-man team like down the line i'm i'm, I'm most likely going to have to get help with, uh, from a publisher just to sort all that stuff mm-hmm. out for me but there is a lot that i can do now and that i have been doing that will make a difference. Um, you just have to commit to just kind of, yeah, this sucks. Like no one likes marketing. No one. Like, yeah. But you just have to just do it. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. I, I like marketing. It's fun. Like I, uh, <laughs> I was talking about this the other day with a camera who it was, but talk about like Patreon. Right. Mm. And people have like really, you know, and good on them. They have like really natural instincts for like, uh, well, I don't want to ask too much of people. And like, uh, yeah, a lot of yeah, people are very like self-conscious and like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to like, you know, I don't think I'm really worth all this. Right. And so like, I was looking at like his, uh, dollar amount, which is higher than like the in the keep Patreon or whatever, which is fine. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't expect, I don't expect a podcast to be nearly as popular as like a, a really, truly excellent game or anything. Right. Um, but like, okay, so look at how many people are donating to you. It's like hundreds of people yeah. and you're only making this dollar amount. And I have like, I don't know, in the tens 
I think I have like 15 or something like that. Like people supporting the show. Yeah. But my average dollar amount per person donating was significantly higher. Yeah. And, and the, the psychology of this is like, and it's kind of fucked up and listen my Patreon supporters, if you guys like get pissed off at me about this and lower (laughs) it, that's okay. It's fine. But I was trying to explain to him. It's like, you don't put the hundred dollar option on there because you want someone to actually give you a hundred dollars. Human psychology works like, you know, if you walk into a, you know, a McDonald's or whatever, and they like give you a small, medium or large or super large option, most people opt for the middle, right? right. And, and that concept is not just about like extracting money out of people, but it's like, you know, how do you sell someone something? If you're a graphic designer, you walk into a board meeting with an idea of like, with well, these are the logos. You don't just walk in like, well, this is the one logo I've worked on. Mm. You walk in with like three or four options yeah. and yep. you're like, you know, here's, this option and then here's the polar other side of that idea that we're exploring here and usually they go for somewhere in the middle um i don't know why but that's the way the yeah, human brain yeah. works uh so i enjoy the the process of that i i like i mean the po- a podcast is essentially like or at least this podcast is about marketing you guys like mm. people that are developing games uh because i find it interesting i don't know why i I don't know how i ended up doing that um but it's weird human psychology is weird have you ever seen mad men no no never it's um it's just like tv show from way back but it's uh, essentially about like uh advertisers in the Mm -hmm. 60s and how they would do this kind of stuff like how how do you sell products to people and they, they were fucked up like they were not good people at all but they were selling, you know, selling cigarettes in the sixties. Like people were still denying whether cigarettes were bad for you and all that kind of thing. Right. And, and the way that they would uh, go about it, you know, so how do you make it appealing to someone or how do we get into the the market of women? That kind of thing. Like, mm. uh, you know, you don't, women, maybe the demographics, uh, they wouldn't respond to, you know, Marlboro man, the cowboy yeah, killer yeah. or whatever. So like you make Virginia slims, the elegant, like mm. uh, whatever. I mean, it's kind of sexist and fucked up, but, that's what they did. The and it worked. And <laughs> yeah. They, they still do it today. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I want to be an ethical marketer. That's, that's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, for me, I had to kind of learn on the fly with the, with the Kickstarter because I mean, that's, that's probably the best lesson you can get in marketing is trying to do a Kickstarter. Um, yeah. So I had to learn a lot during that process, and you know, there's things I'll probably go back and change if I could do it again. But um, yeah, I don't know what my point is, but marketing is important. <laughs> it is. It's so. It's like the most important thing. I, yeah. I mean, okay, the most important thing is the product, and yeah. then, and then it's like yeah, making sure people know that the product even exists in the first place. Yeah. And making it stand out. Uh, your game totally stands out. It's just perfectly unique little thing. Uh, there's a you know big rise in the, a lot of what the, the show has covered is like the, the retro FPS scene. Mm. And that's been exploding for the past, you know, couple since dust came out essentially. Yeah, it has, yeah. And and one of the big things is like, so okay, I'm gonna sell my game. Like what makes your game stand out? Because if you're just making doom, Mm. I've played Doom. Doom is yeah. basically free. Like you pay five bucks and then you have infinite Doom mods to play. Yeah. Like 
to explain to me. And, and part of what I do here on the show is like, I try to get into the psychology of people because I, I don't really think it's important for us to just sit here and talk about the game for three hours or whatever. Like yeah, yeah. people tune in for that and that's good, but they get to know you as a person and they yeah, exactly. can kind of get to relate to you. And that is the most powerful marketing tool mm-hmm. that I know of is yeah. personal connection. Um, if you're a salesman and you know, you make a good deal with a, a particular person. Let's say you're a car salesman. You buy a car from a guy and he gives you a good deal. The next time you want to buy a car, you go back to that same guy. Uh, exactly. If you're a tradesman, you know, a blacksmith, uh, maybe you don't have the best prices in town, but maybe like, you know, I know your sister from high school and like mm-hmm. the relationships are the most important thing uh, as far as I understand it. No, that's exactly so, right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, so I hope that that's what people get out of this. Yeah, 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 that's for it. sure. I mean, no, you're right. It's, and that is, that is something that I have, I mean, I've had to kind of, well, I, I do think I still need to get better at it. It's just, because this is a one-man project. Like, this conscript is me, you know? Yeah. It's it's as me as, like, anything. It's because it's I'm the only one who touched <laughs> it, really. So, Part of, part of me is like you need to kind of get out and um, I guess not sell yourself, but you need to put yourself out there more because people who want to buy a conscript or who are interested in conscript should know who I am and you know what my inspirations were and all that. And that's the hard part about um, indie games and solo developers is that like it's, it's, it's not always easy to, to, to put yourself out there as well. I mean, I'm, I'm actually quite introverted by, by nature. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it hasn't been easy to kind of put myself out there. And I understand the struggle when it, when it comes to like solo developers or, or indie, indie game devs and putting yourself out there because it's, it's not easy. And like a lot of us have anxiety or, or whatever or this and that. So... But like you said, it's kind of a necessary thing. It's it's something you just have to kind of warm up to the idea of doing if you want to be successful. So before before you got into the martial arts, like were you kind of yeah. like shy and introverted yeah, and everything? So like no no eye contact kind of yeah, thing and then built your confidence up? That's good. It, it's funny, man. It's it's really funny because I was we're about to go we're about to go deep, but I was the most insecure kid like you could ever you could ever imagine um, from, up until the time I was about fifteen or sixteen like I was so insecure um, in in prim- like I was never really bullied or anything like I had a good relationship with people in my high school, but I was always like the last kid picked on the sports team I was mm-hmm. so unathletic I spent my whole childhood playing games, which was good and bad because it inspired me to <laughs> do this now but it's not good for like you got to you got to leave the house sometimes as a kid <laughs> and um but yeah when 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 i started martial arts when i was like 17 18 that was kind of a big turning point in in my life and it kind of taught me that it just taught me how to rely on myself uh mentally you know um putting myself out there and kind of when i was 18 like i competed a lot in like amateur Muay Thai fights 
and doing those like really taught me a lot about myself and gave me a lot of confidence. And I mean, that's why I still try to do the martial arts. And you know, when, when the time comes, I want to compete again because I feel like it's, it's just kind of a reminder to myself that like you can leave that kid, that insecure kid behind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That was I can, deep. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's it's good. It's, it's what we want here. Yeah, Trying yeah. to get in there. Um, I can relate in some ways. I, I was never, I never had a problem being in front of people, right? Like I've never mm-hmm. had an issue whatsoever with like performing or talking in front of a crowd or anything like that. And I do have a lot of formal training on it now okay. that I'm an adult. Yeah. 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 Um, but I was, again, I was like never like a bigger athletic guy growing up and everything until I, like, I was a senior in high school when I decided like, uh, I'm going to just fucking hit the gym every day. And mm. like, I, I have to be, you know, relatively big if I want to be a wrestler, uh, that kind of stuff. And it, when you have a focus, like a singular focus, a singular discipline that you're really obsessed with it, it just, everything else just goes out the window. Right. Like, so yeah. yeah. I don't know what it is, but especially martial arts in general, like I've, I've heard that story a lot. Like Joe Rogan, I believe mm. tells that story quite a bit. Like he was very insecure and like kind yeah. of abused in, in his yeah. house. And, and it was just like the one thing that gave him uh, I'm good at this. Like I, I have something to be confident about. Yeah. Exactly and right. yeah. I mean, I it's, suppose that could be anything. Yeah. It's, I mean, I find that, I find that like that, I mean, working out is, it's good and all, or doing martial arts or whatever, it's good. But what, like what, more so than the health part of it is, is just the discipline. Because if you're yeah. disciplined in one area of your life, the likelihood of it kind of seeping into everything else is, is high. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's, you know, getting in shape and, and being healthy, that's obviously important. But for me, it's, it's really just about the discipline. You know, because I know that if I, if I go for a run today or, or whatever, if I go to the gym and I give it everything that I have, then I'm going to come back here when it's time to work on conscript. And I'm also going to give that everything I have. It's just, it's kind of like a, a ripple effect, you know, in life. Yeah. Mm. Very simple things like, uh, just exercise and sleep are like the two biggest things that like keep yeah. me focused. So like, I could sit here all night long and just try to work on something and just my, if my brain isn't functioning fully, you know, at hundred percent capacity, I'm not going to get a lot done, but just little simple things like, okay, uh, make sure you get the right amount of sleep, which I did not today. I woke up r- way <laughs> early for this, but that's okay. Um, and, and like going for a, a good run, getting yeah. a sweat, you know, getting a good shower. And and then I come back, maybe that took up like an hour or so. Yeah. But like when I, when I sit down to work, I am in and I get a lot more done that way. Oh yeah. hundred so, percent, man. Uh, it's like, I think it was Joe Rogan who said this, but if you if you could take the feeling that going for a run gives you in a pill, put in a pill, yeah, like everyone would, it would be everyone would be on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> like especially as, as as a game developer or as someone who um, you're spending a lot of time in front of a screen, sitting down, I think it is so important to just to take care of your health as well. Um, because you don't want to have back issues and, and things like that. So it's important to have a balance, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I got to the point cause my office, like the, I work in a 
basically a desk job where I just mm-hmm. kind of do a lot of sitting all day. And yeah. then I come home and like I had invented this thing, this whole small empire of mm. computer shit that I do. And I was like, I've got to do something that's not sit in front of a damn computer screen yeah. all day. So yeah. like I yeah. just like built a garden in my backyard. I'm like anything that keeps me like yeah, outside cool, and in man. the sunlight. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. whatever. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, man. Discipline, uh, Jocko willing, discipline equals freedom. Like, yeah, exactly right. That's how you. I love me so much, Jocko. I love him. Yeah, he's a he's a special person, that guy. And um, David Goggins as well. It's another inspiration of mine. You know Goggins? He's crazy, yeah, he's self destructive. Yeah, crazy. yeah. I will say, <laughs> he is motivated to the point of, like, he could probably turn it down a notch, but <laughs> it's, it's yeah. still inspirational. <laughs> um, he, yeah, he's like not taking care of himself. That's what scares me. Yeah. I have like, the utmost respect for the guy. It's just like, you're, that can't go on forever. Yeah. There's a, there's an end to this. Yeah. Was yeah. it <laughs> trajectory? <laughs> exactly. I mean, the miles he puts in are just mm. unbelievable. Like that the human body can even withstand that. But I mean, I don't like, I only run like usually like 10 kilometers, which is what, like five miles, maybe five but, miles. Something like yeah. That. I can't even fathom doing an ultra marathon like he does. That's just crazy, man. Crazy. You see it a lot with fighters too, or wrestlers, anybody like uh, athletes will mm. push themselves way, way further than they really should. Um, yeah. Yeah. So big, like a lot of fighters, like they stay in the game too long. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It, I don't know. I don't know how you like talk sense into someone who's driven like that. You, know, you really can't. They have to yeah. learn that lesson on their own. And hopefully not too much damage is done beforehand. Yeah. Well, the problem uh, with fighters is that for the majority of them, because it has to be this way, it has to be your life, you know? So mm-hmm. then when you take, when you essentially ask them to take their life away, they have nothing else to, to do. So I, I can understand like mentally where a lot of, cause that, that's like a tale as old as time really is the fighter that sticks around too long. It's, it's, since combat sports has existed, it's been a thing, you know, the guys who just stick around and it's not good. It's not good. That's why when some fighters leave the game in their prime, like Khabib Nurmagomedov or George St. Pierre, it's really like admirable that they can just step back, you know, while they're still healthy and still and, and be okay with it. Yeah. It, it's a matter of like, where do you draw your pride from? I guess. I mean, if you've been, really successful a lot of people can say like i've done good i can hang my hat on that and walk away yeah some people feel like they still have something to prove and yeah. i feel like yeah. that's a dangerous cycle but it's, yeah, i mean sure. that the, the, the analogy of fighting and everything like uh, there are i know developers right now who are so focused on getting their art out there and like that's all they do that they neglect their health entirely like uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I see I've seen the well. pictures of you know like there it's just a just room full of like fast food bags yeah, McDonald's and trash everywhere. And <laughs> yeah. two, two computer screens hidden yeah. back there somewhere. And just, and yeah. that's their cave. And, uh, yeah. and they, don't, they don't take care of their bodies at all. Like I, yeah. I've seen it. Like a lot. it's quite common. I see it a lot as well. And I mean, look, I mean, if it works for you, I, I, I just, I'm a big believer in being healthy. <laughs> that's all it is really. <laughs> Like I do think your if if your body is unhealthy, in turn your mind's because is uh, going to become unhealthy, and then your work's going to suffer. Whether you kind of consciously realize it or not, 
Um, yeah. Yeah. All things in moderation, including moderation, man. If you want that pizza, say you have that pizza, but don't eat that pizza every day. That's exactly the, right. That's exactly right. right. Yep. Yeah. Man, I'm so sorry to interrupt. This is a- I've, I've got to feed my dog. He needs his medication at uh, 2 p.m. I might just go. I'll be back in like two minutes. Is that all good? I'll hit the pause button. Yeah. All right, perfect. Sorry about that, man. I'll get another cup of coffee while I wait. <laughs> all right, perfect. I'll be back in like uh, five minutes. So we're uh, live now. I can edit mm-hmm. the transition if we cool. need to. But one of the things that I find so fascinating about just what you're doing with the game in general and the the war aspect of it is infinitely, infinitely deep and so, so exploratory. And I think about how we're talking about health, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of soldiers, uh, you'll see them kind of, we're talking about fighters that can't walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's this, culture kind of around warfare and it's definitely changed in the past 30, 40 years mm-hmm. of like, I want to die in battle. Like right. that's all they want yeah. to do. Like if you're, mm-hmm. you find something that you're good at, uh, which may be killing people, you yeah. know, yeah. or saving people's lives, whatever it is. And that's your calling. I mean, how do you walk away from that? And in, in America, we retire people are generally around, you know, the 40, 40 mm. years old kind of area. If you joined when you were 18, 38, um, I mean, there's some people that become like careers longer than that, like, you know, high ranking officers or like high ranking NCOs and everything, but they just, I've seen people that will go do a tour in Afghanistan and come back and say it was the worst thing that ever happened to them. Mm. And then they're chasing that for the rest of their life. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm going to do it again and yeah. do it again and do it again. Uh, and then they come it gets to a point where like they've done, you know, several deployments in the course of a few years and they're like, uh, fucked up, hmm. you know? Um, and a lot of them get through it and there's mental health is a lot better than it used to be, but they, they can't walk away from that thrill, yeah, yeah, like that yeah. moment. It's, it's bizarre. It's, it's almost like it's just kind of in human nature in a way. Cause obviously fighting in martial arts is a lot less extreme. It's not even on the same kind of plain but there are parallels you know but because it's obviously not life and death it's a completely different thing but you know there are there are a lot of parallels like once you experience that it's even though fighting like like training for a fight for example is pretty miserable like yeah i mean especially in mma you have to cut weight you have to diet for two months you have to then you have to dehydrate yourself for the whole week before the fight i know it's the same in like a college wrestling but you know training for a fight is pretty miserable and most of the time the fight itself is going to be fucking miserable <laughs> like yeah. if you're at if you're at let's just say the ufc for, as an example that's you know the, the upper upper echelon but if you're a ufc fighter every fight's going to be hard no fight's going to be easy so the whole process is kind of miserable and then obviously if you win you get that high and then i think a lot of guys just chase that for the rest of their life. And I'm, I'm, that's kind of the parallel that I can draw with fighting, but I'm sure it's a similar, it's probably something really like intrinsic within us, you know? Yeah. It's everything worth doing is difficult. Yes. That's right? exactly like, right. Yeah. Making a game is not a fun experience for yeah. the most part. It's like mm-hmm. a lot of just writing code or, yeah. Know, try like just trying to figure out how to do something that kind mm-hmm. of thing i mean it's 
making a, a editing a podcast can be a fucking chore. You know, so I, I've gotten yeah. a lot better at it over the course of the past few years, but it, it's all like very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. Running is difficult. Like yeah, as you right. said earlier, the whole thing, like, if you could take a pill that just gave you the high from running, people would take it every day. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the process of running, you know, 10 kilometers or whatever is fucking like, Oh, this sucks the whole time. Yeah. The whole, you, yeah. The whole time. Yeah. <laughs> People talk about the runner's high and like that it's there to an extent, but it's still miserable. Like it's the pain is just, yeah, I don't know. Not your main focus at that point. It's, I don't even feel like the pain goes away. It's just like, I'm thinking about something else or my mind, or I'm yeah. so focused on what I'm doing that I can't even feel the pain really. Mm. And I don't, I don't know why. So like, why do people do things that are really difficult? Why, why do we, you know, yeah, it's a good what, question. Talking about like what keeps the gamer motivated to play through a game? Like what, you know, what keeps a soldier motivated in a trench? And, and the yeah. answer is a lot of them were not motivated at all. That's, yeah. Uh, the yeah. name of the game is conscript, mm-hmm. not enlistment. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and that's part of the horror of it really that, to bring it back to survival horror, it's like these kids were not, this wasn't their choice. You know, right. I mean, how many volunteers really were there? Not many, um, not many at all. It was mainly conscripts. And man, it's like, that's, that's, that's probably the scariest part of it all is that, you know, these kids didn't sign up for this and that's what they had to go through. So, yeah. It's, very terrifying. Like the American military is 100% voluntary now. Mm. I, mean, I, I remember uh, when I was, I was probably like 19 and I, I was an electrician's apprentice, just job ahead. Mm-hmm. And there was this old man, uh, we we're doing some work on his house and he was telling me like, yeah, he was, he's a black guy. And yeah. this is in uh, Alabama. So yeah. bear with me. There's some history to this, but yeah, yeah. you know, in the sixties, he's telling me like, he got in some trouble. Like he was involved in some like criminal activity and it was just not a good time in his life. And he went to court and the judge said, you have two choices. You can go to prison for 20 years or you can go to Vietnam for four. Wow. And he said, uh, well, I guess I'll go to Vietnam. And, and at that time in the military, uh, black dudes were only allowed to do basically a few different jobs. Like you couldn't have all this same job. This is really fucked up, but so his jobs were either uh, infantry or mm. mortar man, and he chose mortar man. <laughs> so mm. that that whole experience for him, like, was just. And he was pretty pretty okay when I talked to him. You know, but he had a lot of time to deal with this. But I mean, can you even imagine? And in oh, the yeah. case of the French in in World War One, uh, it's it was essentially like either you're going to fight or. You're, you're going to die either way or everyone you know is going to die. Like they're going to take away your entire country and turn the world into a fucking very different place. So, I mean, I'm sure that's a strong motivator, but when you're stuck in a trench for months and you have trench foot and everyone around you is dying and you can't find your brother in the case of Louis and Pierre yeah, or yeah. sorry, Andre and Pierre. Yep. <laughs> Louis was the real guy you said earlier, but yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Louis Bathus. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's, it's like, that's a crazy to choose prison or or Vietnam. I don't know what would be worse, really. Uh, Vietnam, Definitely Vietnam. I, I would <laughs> yeah. Um, um. What was I going to say? I had a thought, but it's left me. Sorry. <laughs> I had a really deep okay. thought, and it's just gone. 
I, yeah, I can't imagine being presented with that option uh, in any case. And if you don't have an option, if you're conscripted into your military, I mean, we still see that today. Like uh, Finland still does it. Does Australia have like a anything no, like that? Or no, something there's, like there's nothing like that here. Um, so it's all yeah. long. Uh, so like a lot of countries in Europe still have, you know, conscripted military mm. service and it's more like a national guard type of thing than right, it is like yeah. a, you know, like you're going to be a career military guy or yeah, like yeah, do yeah. four years, it's like, you know, go do six months, basic training, get your, you know, in case <laughs> something happens yeah, again, like yeah. I'm, I'm sure that the Finns are in case the, the Russians just decide to yeah, 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 yeah. have to get on our skis again. Yeah. Um, why, why do you think that, warfare is such a popular thing with video games. Like there's hmm. no into that. I mean, that's, 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 a, the, that's a, that's a deep question. Um, it's kind of going back to what we were talking about before. It's like, there's got to be something intrinsic within us that just is attracted to it. I suppose that's why we as a species have fought so many wars because <laughs> it's, it's it's intrinsic i guess and yeah yeah that's that's a that's a good question that's a really good question um because the thing is it's it's you're right what how popular is warfare in media and when you actually think about what it involves and that, i guess that to bring it back to conscript that's kind of part of my my mission i guess is to shed light on the fact that it wasn't it wasn't a hollywood movie you know right it wasn't call of duty yeah it's not call of duty it's it's just fucked up (laughs) it was really fucked up you know so hopefully i can accomplish that yeah i think you are man like i i i saw the game i was like that looks really cool and then i Played, I played the demo like two or three times, mm. like with uh, friends in Discord, kind of watching and just bouncing ideas cool. off and back and forth. But it was funny because, like, I talk about uh, specifically, I talk about World War One a lot because it's just one of my favorite things in history. I, I keep saying favorite, that just sounds wrong. Yeah, we know but, what you mean. <laughs> but my, my friends immediately were like, oh man, that's so, like, because they knew how fascinating this was to me. And you made, like, exactly. I have Resident Evil tattooed on my arm. Like, I like survival horror games. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. pixel art. I like World War One. Let's go. <laughs> this is the best fucking thing. Actually, I got a bone to pick with you because yeah, yeah, yeah. I've messaged you a long time ago. Like, you know what? Hey, would you want to do the show? I yeah. saw that after the second time you'd reached out because I'll tell you what. Yeah. First of all, I apologize for that. But um, yeah, I try fine. to stay away from Twitter as much as I can. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. If, if just for anyone out there, if you want to contact me, like it's best to just email me because I guess this is another <laughs> conversation we would have, but. I try to stay away from social media in general as much as I can. Not just, um, you know, I, I try to engage with my audience as, as much as I can, but even in my personal life, like I don't really I have a Facebook, but I don't really check it. Um, mm-hmm. I try to have as minimal social media as I can just in general, yeah. because I, I know how destructive it can be for your mental health. So Twitter DMs is usually not the best place to reach me. Um, just, for anyone who's listening to this and might want to reach me, um, you can jump in a Discord or you can uh, email me, and that's probably where so, I'm more uh, likely to respond. January twenty seventh, I messaged you on Discord. The first time, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you son of a bitch. Ah, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's cool. But yeah, I'm really thankful to Ted for kind of hooking this up because I was, I was talking to him. Uh, I think we were watching movies or some shit in the Dread XP mm. Discord, and I was just like, man, that Conscript game is so cool. Do you know that guy? And he's just like, oh, you mean, yeah, JD? Oh, God, I'm up. <laughs> ah, cool, yeah. No, it's, it's, so cool. Yeah, that's cool. It's good that we got to do it. Um, yeah, I think that was also just a crazy – because there's also there's times, obviously as a one man team, there's just times. Because if if I want to finish this game, you have to set uh, mm. deadlines. Obviously, you have to set uh, milestones. And I think there was some there was something that I was working towards during that time. Where it was just kind of a crazy time. But um, yeah, we're here now. <laughs> I, I never blame people for not wanting to do interviews. Other than like, I mean, I have the obvious instinct of like you should put yourself out there and market yourself. And yeah, try yeah. to do that kind of thing. But I genuinely like actually don't get insulted when people are just like nope not interested or like just ignore it because i'm like well you're probably really busy yeah uh i would say that so it's if you you mentioned like social media and the destructiveness and everything and i i would also say that it it is important to like keep a peep fans engaged in some way you have the discord and that's a good way to do it but to constantly be like trying to let people know that this thing exists is, is definitely exactly. important. I, yeah. I struggle with that too. Cause I hate Twitter. Um, Twitter's bad, I isn't absolutely it? Absolutely. <laughs> it's really but bad. When I, you know, started trying to figure out like, how can I reach more people for in the keep? I'm like, well, we should at least have some kind of front facing thing. So mostly the, uh, if someone reaches out, I'll try to like get back to them and like be friendly and message or, uh, but the big thing is like making sure every podcast is published on there and, you know, right. hit as many people as I can, because I'm not doing a service to you as the developer if I'm not showing your interview right. people. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, otherwise you're just wasting your time. Yeah. I mean, it's with, with Twitter, it's like, yeah, it, it's, it's especially for a game dev. I mean, Twitter isn't actually the most, um, it's not as important as you would think in terms of, uh, like wishlist conversions in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter is kind of the top of the funnel that you have someone and you kind of want to funnel them down into like your discord and to actually become part of the community yeah. and then eventually to wish list, obviously. Um, Personal but, connection. Yeah. But it is still very important to post on Twitter. I've tried to do it as regularly as I can, but um, sometimes like the past month I was pretty inactive because it was just, sometimes you just have nothing to show. <laughs> like sometimes yeah. like I spend a month or not a month, but probably two, three weeks just um on ai just just re like i was saying i think at the at the beginning just reprogramming the ai and that takes so much planning and so much work so i spent and you can't it's not really something that you can like it's pretty boring when you're like figuring out how enemies are going to find a path to the player and you know what happens if two enemies are stuck in the same spot or if one can't find the player like it's not really it's kind of hard to to show that on twitter so the past month i was pretty inactive but um when i do post I try to stick around because a post will have a life of like maybe 24 hours or like 48 hours. I'll stick around for that 48 hours, like, you know, respond to people, um, you know, thank them or talk to them. And then I kind of just will leave. Like I don't kind of want to stick around on Twitter longer than I have to because it just kind of makes you depressed. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoy seeing uh, what people are working on. I don't, like seeing people vent their personal crap on Twitter. That's what like, it is. Uh, That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. it's, it's like, 
if you're posting like a sick screenshot or like, you know, like I made this new 3d model or like, look at the, you know, yeah, perfect. positive yeah. things. Like all, I like all that stuff. I just do. I do not like seeing like someone just be like thirsty for com- compliments. Yes, or like encouragement. yes, yes. I can, yeah. I can relate and, to that. Yeah. And I respect the fact that, you know, they're, they're not getting that somewhere else. So they need it or whatever, but it's just like, this is, this is not what I want to spend my day looking at. <laughs> Me too, so. man. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it's like everything. There's, there's good and bad with social media, but I just find that the thing is, it, it's not real life. You know, social yeah. media is not real life. Um, and I think a lot of people are uh, mistaken and are under the impression that it is real life. When it's, it's this weird, it's this weird world that we've kind of created as a species, <laughs> social media world. You know, it's it's going to be interesting. I was talking to one of my friends about this the other day, but you know, in 20 years time, when you have the first generation who kind of grew up exclusively on social media and had most of their social interactions on social media, what are the, how is that going to affect them later on in their life? You know what I mean? It'll be interesting to see. I mean, we're already starting to see it. I mean, we, we might actually be that generation. <laughs> now like that I think kids about that are, kids that are 16, 17, 18 right now, they yeah. grew up yeah. with, you know, Facebook and Twitter and, for sure. TikTok and all, all that kind of shit. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I think most people are inherently just kind of like normal. I mean, th- there's definitely always yeah. like, changes between generation to generation, but like most of them can, you know, stand up and look you in the eye and shake That's your hand true. and act like, you know, little, little people. But I, I do understand that uh, it's actually point point of, conversation here i mean i'm i'm 25 like you and i are both kind of in that range where we're yeah. like we didn't really grow up without the internet except that i'm from alabama so we didn't get the internet until i was like a little bit you know i didn't right. like i wasn't like a little kid getting my rocks off like posting yeah. on Twitter. you know i was playing in the dirt and stuff like yeah that. I, I feel like uh so yeah i'm 23 i feel like my age is kind of i mean i was probably exposed to the internet at maybe maybe like 14 um that was just me personally i didn't have like a smartphone until i was about 18 but so i I still feel like i had a childhood that was kind of fairly traditional i guess in a way or fairly normal where i was still outside kind of running around jumping on trees and jumping off trees and all that um i guess my main concern with social media these days is I mean, it, maybe it's not so much that it's going to stunt how people communicate with each other, but it's more so that I think the younger generation is going to find that likes are actually meaningful. You know, you know what I mean? Like likes actually mean more than they do, when in reality, yeah. like, it's, it's, just a, it's just a worthless number. And I feel like a lot of young kids are going to start tying their self-worth into you know, Facebook likes or Twitter likes. So that's my main concern, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of research on that. I've, I got kind of like an, in a rabbit hole about it, but it, I this is just me quoting things I've heard. I'm not making a broad statement about like, I'm not trying to sound sexist, but apparently uh, girls struggle with this way more yeah. than like boys do. Um, yeah. Or, you know, I, I can't even imagine if you're like a, a trans situation, what that's like. Yeah, yeah. But just... Def- default to the old binary system here 
-hmm. apparently like girls really value, you know, people liking their photos and stuff like that. And, or in a not like is is just like a horrible thing for them or like a a down vote is like even more like they, they really internalize that stuff. And I don't know. That must be fucking hard. I have no idea what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, It'll be interesting. Yeah. With that. Cause I guess, I guess, I mean, even I feel it to some extent, I guess we all do as well. If you, especially if you're in any kind of uh, like creative position where Mm -hmm. you'll get, you know, for, for every 10 good comments you get, the one comment that's kind of not even bad, but just like, uh, how would you say, like, doesn't even have to be a bad comment, but just something that's kind of maybe slightly negative critical. or critical. Yeah. Um, not even critical, but maybe maybe unfairly critical. Yeah, and you and you'll focus on that. <laughs> even me, even though I'm aware that this is kind of like a psychological flaw that we all have, it, it'll still happen to me. You know, if I see that comment even though I'm aware of it. So it's going to be crazy, yeah, to see kids who maybe aren't so aware of their own psychology, how they're going to grow up with that, you know. I uh, actually, two days ago, I, I did my, all right, let's get, let's get drunk and read YouTube comments day. Oh, no. Uh, which is absolutely fun. <laughs> I, I, I've got really thick skin, man. You're not going to like, hurt my feelings yeah, good, yeah. Like, yeah. and it usually like, strangely people don't open invite bring it on people don't usually attack me they attack like the guests that i have on mm. right like so like a uh, cliff blazitsky you know like gears of war and all that uh just wow the mountain of like bullshit people say about him like you don't even know the guy i just he spent gets, he gets a lot of hour pain, half, he? yeah i don't know why he's I don't know why. nice super yeah, yeah. nice i mean i get People just want to fucking have their voice be heard and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like, he's so cool. I mean, really, really cool to me. Uh, he lent his name to our convention that we were putting on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, personally, helped me like get in contact with a lot of people that were That's helpful. Awesome. Yeah. And he didn't have to do that. He's got a million dollars and a fucking you know like, just, he could just sit around drinking mimosas exactly. every morning for the rest of yeah. his life and not give back to the community in any way. Yeah. Especially yeah. with people saying fucking negative bullshit to him. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, but sometimes I think it's good to just like desensitize yourself to that kind of shit. Like people, yeah. if you, if you have a problem with, uh, exposing yourself to anything, like it's like people saying negative shit about you, like, man, I, I say run in both guns blazing and just see what happens. Like, and then come out on the other side and it's like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I have the same kind of mentality. It's yeah. good. It's good to kind of develop that because it's so, going back to social media it's so it's so easy to say something that you wouldn't say in real life you know and yeah so it's good to kind of <laughs> develop an immunity to that if you can <laughs> yeah because it's gonna happen it's gonna happen it's gonna happen so what's like a what's a lot of the feedback you've gotten so far with conscript i mean it's been pretty positive so far um the demo both demo because I did a demo uh, during the Kickstarter and then I kind of revised it a bit um, mm-hmm. for Halloween last year and just kind of improved it a bit. And yeah, I mean, people have been really supportive and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Um, it seems to be kind of hitting that that niche of survival horror fans, but also kind of just people who are interested in history. Um, 
they seem to really be enjoying it, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. And you know, there's obviously criticisms, and which is, you know, great. That's great for me because now, because there's things that I know that I should fix and that I've been working on. Um, but for the most part, it's like, it's been really positive. Yeah. How have, how have you like, cause you interact with your uh, kind of supporters and fans and yep. everything. What, what do you think is like the demographic here? Like what types of people are responding to this? It's, I'll tell you what, it's, it is, it is quite a diverse group because like I said, I, I am kind of lucky to have the crossover between the classic survival horror fans. Um, I mean, who knows how you would even, what is that demographic? I mean, how would you even like classify the demographic, like classic Resident Evil know. fans? Yeah. I guess people, I guess it's probably an older demographic because they grew up with games from the nineties. Um, then I also have just people who are interested in history. Really. Um, I've had quite a few, you know, people who, who serve and yeah, it's, it's cool. It's really cool to have that crossover. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause we were talking about the, the retro FPS thing earlier. And I remember, uh, I was talking, I think it was on a podcast, but I was talking to Fred Schreiber from 3d realms and he, he was starting to say like, you know, he, th- he thinks that like the, the demographic of people that are like into these, you know, boomer shooter types of games, he's like, well, yeah, it's like a, you know, 30, 40 year old guys that have like worked a job for a while and they remember <laughs> these games from the nineties. Yeah. And then they're like, you know, they come home at the end of the work day and they put their kids to bed and they just want to play something that reminds them of what they did before. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, that, that is probably true, but wildly, like I know so many people, I mean, I'm a good example. Uh, I, I know teenagers, like large array of different people who just really like those games and for like a number of different reasons. So, I mean, you're doing a reasonably priced kind of retro, like low yeah. polygraphic game. Uh, I, th- I see a lot of people that like um, are just done with paying $60 for triple A yeah, games that come yeah, out half, yeah, half baked yeah, and all yeah. that. And so I think there's been a drive amongst gamers in general to find these like shorter, yeah, uh, yeah. Low, lower poly, but games that they can feel the the creative soul in. Yeah. Uh, it's no different than, uh, you know, people who like artisan stuff and that's become much more popular because for a long time we've been living in the world of mass production, mm. you know, plastic and all this crap. But like, there's something about like holding a knife in your hand that, you yeah. know, a fucking blacksmith like hammered exactly out for right. you yeah. and like, put his sweat and blood into. And that's yeah. so much more valuable. And that's how I see what you do. Like, that's exactly what I see. Like, that's, I mean, that's why I find it so fascinating. Yeah. That's, that's like the perfect compliment because that's how, that's how I feel about it as well. It's like, I feel like I've really kind of put my soul into this and I know that it yeah. kind of comes through. I feel like a lot of people have told me that have, uh, how do I say it? Well, they, they, they've told me that they can see that in the game, which is like such a, such a great compliment to get. Um, but I can also relate to the whole shorter games thing. Like as I've gotten older, I've just realized there's no chance in hell that I can afford to put hundred hours into a game anymore. I just can't do it. <laughs> so I also find myself just kind of looking for shorter, shorter experiences, things that you can finish in like, you know, 10 hours. It's funny because I remember when Resident Evil 3 Remake came out, everyone was complaining about how long it was. And I was like, man, this is like perfect. It's like five hours because <laughs> that's kind of probably the length that Conscript would be as well. You know, it's, it's yeah. short. You know, that game wasn't perfect. It had its own problems. But as far as the length went, like that was perfect for me. 
Um, and that's kind of a design goal for me is to not make the game extend its welcome. Like I want it to be just enough, uh, just, just long enough, but also kind of be replayable if you want to go back yeah. in and also be filled with detail, you know, filled with a lot of different details, kind of like, kind of like Kojima's games, like Metal Gear Solid, the old Metal Gear Solids were full of detail. That's kind of another thing that I want to do with Conscript. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a dichotomy in the way that people want to digest stories and a, a lot of, you know, uh, sp- to keep tying it back into first-person shooters, like a lot of people just do not want story to be part of it. They're like, I just want to like yeah. run and gun, shoot people, move on to the next level, and then, not, you know, and in a game like this, there has to be some sort of narrative. Um, yeah. And, and I, I like both. You know, I like high fan. I like The Witcher, like a you know, fifty percent cutscenes, high fantasy kind of stuff too. And I think it all just comes down to fun. Is it fun? Yeah. When does it become not fun? Um, so like I do a lot of. I call it research. It's really just playing video games. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, like I, I tend. To, to opt for not necessarily short games, but games that you can do in like bite-sized chunks or whatever yeah. like th- that I, I don't have a lot of time. You know, I, I work, I come home, I have a wife, yeah. I want to hang out with my, uh, my cat. Yeah. And you know, I've got all this other crap going on within the keep, but I do need to play video games or else I'm not going to be a very good uh, podcaster right. yeah. interviews developers. And one of the ones that came up recently was uh, I, I ran, like I realized like a lot of the developers that I've interviewed or talked to are extremely influenced by Dark Souls, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was just like, man, I'm not doing that in a way. <laughs> and then finally, one of my friends, he's just like, no, you have to, and so he just bought it for me. And now I feel obligated. So for like the past two weeks, I've been playing Dark Souls, and it's a great game. Don't get me yeah, wrong, I love it's Dark like Souls, a, yeah. hundreds of hours and <laughs> just yeah of just doing the same thing over and over like the, the, the gameplay loop and yeah. which I think is genius. But what I am learning from playing it now is like, now I understand a lot of where people are coming from when they say like, I, you know, I'm going for like a souls like kind of thing. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, right. That, that sort of deal. And that's, I mean, that's, there's worse problems to have, you know, I'm complaining about my job, <laughs> which was to play dark. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, Dark Souls is a funny one because I guess. So, so this is your first time playing. Yeah, I've never played it before. I played uh, Bloodborne a long time ago, but I did it like co-op, so I didn't. I didn't understand like how it works. I was just like, right. yeah, let's go kill some monsters. And I played like a little bit of Demon Souls way right. back in the day. So I've I've played but, through um, the. I've actually never owned a PlayStation console, so I've only played through the Dark Souls trilogy. I've never played through Bloodborne or anything, but. Um, I found that like your first Souls game is going to be the longest because you're just kind yeah. of getting used to the mechanics and you're getting your ass kicked. And you're... the second, the second and third ones, in whichever order you play them, are going to be a lot easier because you just kind of understand the how the enemies are going to behave, you know, the mechanics. So the the, the second and third time around, it's going to be a lot less uh, painful. But it's just getting through that first one, I think, that most people find hard. Yeah. I- there was definitely like a curve of uh, we mentioned it earlier about how like the game requires you to bend to its will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is, I I try to talk about this as little as possible, but I really didn't like doom eternal 
And I, I know everybody loves it and that's okay. And I'm down with that. I'm not ever out to like criticize or say like things are bad and they mm-hmm. shouldn't do them because it's okay to not enjoy something or to enjoy it. Yeah. But it took doom, which is a game that was very free. Like you could just kind of play it however you wanted to for all time uh, with the exception of like doom three, but that's, that's yeah. actually a survival horror game in a way. Um, and it it made it a lot more like Dark Souls, and that like combat must be done in certain mm. ways. Um, so what I've actually enjoyed the most about Dark Souls is trying to game the AI as much as humanly possible. Yeah, like yeah. I am not interested in these like difficult dodge combat type situations. <laughs> I just want to make the enemy die. So like I'm looking, I've looked up every trick in the book. Yeah. I'm I'm leading people up staircases and then like yeah, tricking them yeah, into falling yeah, it yeah. off. Anything to avoid combat at all. I think the uh, magic is, builds are like the most broken. I've, I've never actually played with the magic builds, but I'm pretty sure those mm-hmm. are the ones that are just broken that you can outsmart the AI with very easily. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't know about that. I just picked like thief or some shit because I thought that sounded cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, you got to be you got to be like a knight for your first time playing Dark Souls. I think that's I think that's the true Dark Souls experience. But oh, I, haven't, I haven't played too it late. <laughs> <laughs> I'm past the point of no return and I'm not restarting. So Oh yeah, that, that's a game. You, you cannot restart. You cannot restart. Yeah. Well. Once you're a certain amount in, it's like you've got to commit. Yeah. So I guess uh, the last kind of thing I wanted to dive into mm-hmm. was uh, we've talked a bit about like what inspired Conscript, but what, what are the games that are like the most important to you personally that you've played through your whole life? Mm. You know what? I think... I, I grew up as a Nintendo kid and pretty generic answers, but it's just, it's the Ocarina of Times. It's the, yeah. the Mario 64s. I was lucky because I grew up with, um, I'm an only child, but I grew up with my older cousin and he's 20, he was born in 1993. So I ended up playing a lot of what he had, which was Nintendo 64 at the time. So I kind of feel like I've grown up with games before my time a little bit. I grew up with a lot of Nintendo 64 and um, funnily enough, when the Wii came out, I actually have I actually have a lot of nostalgia for like Super Nintendo games from the Wii's virtual console. So I feel like I have nostalgia for like all these different generations which were before my mm-hmm. time. So like for me, the most important games are just like the classics. It's A Link to the Past, it's Ocarina of Time, it's Mario 64. Um, and the, funnily enough, I didn't actually play like the first Resident Evil I played was Resident Evil 4 um, when I was like 12. But I didn't play the classics until literally like three years ago. So I don't really have nostalgia for them, um, even though I'm making a game based around them. But um, yeah, that's a generic answer. Just like, the, the, I guess, yeah, Resident Evil 4, Ocarina of Time, Link to the Past, Majora's Mask, those kind of games that everyone loves <laughs> i uh i i can definitely agree like ocarina of time is still to this day like just so perfect it's yeah. infinitely fascinating it never mm. gets old and it, it i mean our our age group our generation like that was yeah. the game like yeah. and i'm trying to think like the are there any like real alternatives because it is like the you never owned a PlayStation console ever? Never. No, never. <clears throat> so how did you play Resident Evil and all this stuff? PC, like, um, later? Or? 
so I play Resident Evil Four on the on the uh, Wii. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I played Resident Evil Two and Three on the GameCube a few years ago. That's how okay. I played those, um, and I played the first original Resident Evil on the DS. The, do you remember the DS version of the original yeah. Resident Evil? Yeah, I played that. So yeah, I somehow avoided having a PlayStation for my whole life. <laughs> so it's amazing. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where the survival horror was born too. Yeah, yeah. it's good that you found another route into it. Um, yeah, for sure. Because I'd say that of all the games that just like really took me away. Um, I mean, Ocarina is a big one, but uh, Resident Evil Four was like, yeah, yeah. I I felt like I kind of came online when I played that, and I played it years after. I was like PlayStation Three or something like that yeah. when I actually played it. But a, a friend was telling me like, you got to try this out, and I don't know, it, it, but it has all this kind of similar things that fascinate me about Conscript, even uh, you know this stationary combat and yeah, yeah. the. Just, the way that you deal with enemies, like as they, yeah. they kind of come at you and everything, you, you can't. If you, there are certain levels where they swarm you and you're stationary, and yeah, you got to yeah. figure out like a puzzle around it. It's some of the best level design that's ever existed, as far as I'm concerned. Man, Resident Evil uh, Four is it's like perfect. It's to me, it's yeah. like it's just one of the most perfect games. Like, and it's pretty long as well, but it is somehow entertaining. I've, I've actually been playing it recently again. Um, because mm-hmm. as I was reprogramming the AI in Conscript, like I said, I wanted to um, make it so that it was more balanced in group encounters. So I'm like, well, a good game to study for that would be Resident Evil 4. So I yeah. kind of studied how, in like the village encounter, how the different enemies, because you'll notice in that game that um, there's a big swarm, but a lot of the enemies in the swarm actually hang back. They don't actually yeah. all swarm you at once. It's very balanced in that way where literally only one enemy out of the swarm will come up to you at a time. So I, be, I kind of studied that for a few weeks and that's how I've been, um, that's how I've been rebalancing the, the combating conscript is taking notes straight from how the, those groups react to Resident Evil 4. If some will hang back, some will come forward. If it's a projectile enemy, they'll kind of hang at a distance. Um, yeah, man, that game is, I love it. <laughs> I, I love the uh, blend of horror and comedy that they have. Like there's, because yeah, yeah. it's just like horrific game with all this like crazy, gory yeah. stuff going on. And at the end of the day, you're really just like leading a teenage girl, an annoying teenage girl around. Like yeah, it's fucking <laughs> that's the ridiculous. whole point. Of it. It's a ridiculous. And, and then guy. the finale. Yeah. The finale is like we're gonna jet ski out yeah. of a cave in a mountain and like. Uh, and then after that, you know, it became like Resident Evil, the franchise itself became more like an action thing until Res 7. So like 5 yeah. and 6 especially is very much an action shooter, not a, uh, like I, w- I wouldn't call it a survival horror game anymore. Yeah. I hate 6. Um, <laughs> Don't get me started on 6. I despise that game. I actually like 6. I, I'm like, I keep sticking my foot in my mouth because like I was so critical of Doom, but like... <laughs> I, I like six as a game. I just don't like it as a Resident Evil game kind of thing. Yeah, you know? six is like the problem with six is that the structure of the game doesn't support its mechanics at all. You know, it's that's why people often say that the mercenaries is the best part of that game, and it is because that's the only time you're really free to just experiment with the combat. But yeah. every other when you're playing the campaigns, it's like 
the game thinks it's a survival horror game, but it's given you this these crazy acrobatic abilities, but then it also limits your ammo. Like the game doesn't know what it wants to be, which is that's my criticism on Resident Evil 6. <laughs> it's all good, man. This has been a really, really fascinating time. And I, yeah, again, like would invite you anytime you want uh, awesome. as you release more stuff or whatever, Perfect. like come back. We can chat anytime. No, thanks for it's having me on. Nice. I really appreciate it. And sorry I couldn't get to you the first time, but um, no, I'm glad that we did it. It was great. Forget all that shit, man. Just have a good time. Good. Thank you very, very much to the great and powerful Jordan, who is uh, very generous with his time. And I got to say, like, shout out to all the military veterans out there. This podcast is dedicated to you guys. I'm very happy to have uh, gotten to spend some time talking about that subject a lot more. It doesn't really come up too much, but uh, since we were doing a military game, I thought it was a good time to really dig into that. If y'all haven't already, make sure you head over to conscriptgame.com. You can wishlist the game now on Steam and GOG. You can also get the demo. It's fucking awesome. Also, thank you to all our supporters out there. Paul, Moose, Dots, Zach, Alexander, Brad, Red Eyes, Anthony, Robert, Jack, Brandy, Fred, Lord Revan, Tones, Igrag, Simon, and Morpher, the whole Flam Fam, Mike, and Zan. You are the lifeblood, man. You guys, uh are keeping this ship afloat and I can't thank you enough if you want to be mentioned on that list you can be all you gotta do is head over to inthekeep.com forward slash support uh they're all uh, either patreon supporters or like discord nitro subscribers uh or have just contributed into the show in some way and uh, we appreciate the hell out of them so much love to all of you out there thank you for listening till next time stay in the keep